everyone. Thanks for checking out the Indie Handshake Wrestling Podcast. My name is Paul Ponte, and I am joined today by Taro, a.k.a. The best chess in the West, daddy. I'm here. I'm ready. I haven't talked to anybody in a while in this hood. The horns are locked, cocked, and ready to rock. And you know what? There's no way I can do this for more than an hour. <laughs> I'm going to get blown up. How you doing? Kevin Lyon here, and now I'm going to look all rattled out. AKA yeah. Kevin Lyon. We, I did lose have. this mask back in 2003, so I can't. I can't get away with that. Yeah, I tried. I did a couple matches after with the mask on for fun, but against Super Dragon again as well. Also, yeah, yeah. you know that. You know, you can get in trouble in Lucha for sometimes wearing a mask, but after you lose it, but some people get away with it. I mean, yeah. Rey Mysterio is the best example of that. Yeah. Well, that was you know. <laughs> See, the difference is. When you lost your mask, you took off your horns. When he lost his mask, he put on those little weird horns. Ah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know what period. That was a very, very strange, strange period in wrestling. Anyway, how yeah. are you doing? How are I'm you enjoying great. this COVID lifestyle that we are all still living, unfortunately? I mean, doing what I can to just, you know, just working, trying to just keep a regular 40-hour work week and just... The fun is, uh, we'll probably talk about the beer baseball broadcast I do with Disco Machine, Michael Mondragon, and Angelo. You know, I'll plug it, I'm sure, later, but that's like the fun that we do every week. And it's fun to just sit back and talk to you, Paul. Awesome. That's good to hear. Glad it's not a grind. Uh, <laughs> sometimes they can be, you know, yeah, it depends. I'll, depends. Try not, I'll try not to do that for you. I'll give you long winded. Oh, that, that's even better. I'd, I prefer long-winded to no-wind at all. Trust me on that. Uh, so let's go ahead and let's go with the typical start to these podcasts. You know, how we got started in wrestling. What were you into before wrestling? And how did you learn about independent wrestling, which is my favorite part? All right. So let me, gosh, I gotta go way back. I can literally tell you the first day I saw wrestling. And it turns out to be that historical tie-in I found out later. So in Southern California, I, I'm, I'll say it, I'm 45 years old. So... I'm seven years old, January 1st, New Year's Day, 1983. I don't have cable. Literally, back in those days, you're aware of the Rose Parade, right? The mm-hmm. Pasadena Rose Parade. Yeah. It's so big in Los Angeles. It's on like six channels. It's, you know, and I'm just like, oh, I really don't want to watch this. Turn through the channels, and on channel nine, I see this ring, and I, I'm watching it. I'm like, what is this? And I see this guy climb up onto this rope. And he wears like the, the little, yeah, it's Superfly Snuka, you know, wearing his trunks. And I'm watching this guy. I'm like, what is this? And he does the Superfly Splash. And I only run to the living room and I'm yelling at my dad. I'm like, oh my God, I just saw this guy jump and fly in the air on this guy. Blah, blah, blah. And it turned out my dad actually went to the Olympic Auditorium for wrestling in the 60s. So he would mention, the guys he always mentioned, like Freddie Blassie, Lord Jane Bleers, uh, Luthez. And he would say the Sheik, but he always thought the, he was a little, he was like, he always mixed up the Sheik with the Iron Sheik for some reason. <laughs> so instantly he was into it. And I actually went to WMS shows as a kid in 83 and 84 in, at the Olympic Auditorium, the sports arena. And well, the historical about I was going to go back to is I found out that was the very first day, New Year's Day 83, that WMF was on TV in LA. It was like oh, the wow. first market they went into outside of the New York area, I believe. They, did, they had a couple of markets in California because uh the i guess the LA territory was dead at that point so they took a chance and swept in and i believe i was at the very first wf show in la as like a central oh, wow. kid met bob backland it was bob backland buddy rose main event <laughs> and he came up to me said hello he's like how you doing young man and i'm just like good match and that's all i could say i could that's all i can get out i, I can whimper out i'm just like 
<laughs> and so, you know, just going up as a fan as a kid, and I'm, like I said, I'm gonna be long-winded because it's totally all gonna tie back together. Don't worry. Um, the very first indie show I went to was actually in 19, uh, 1985. It was actually yes. a group called California Championship Wrestling. They actually had TV locally on Channel 56 here in uh, LA. Nowadays, they, that was like the station which all the random like world-class wrestling and stuff like that. And they had this local group and I stumbled upon it. And my parents actually drove me to a TV taping, one of the worst shows I've ever seen, let me tell you. And ironically enough, it was at this place called the Reseda Country Club. And I actually wrestled there uh, 14 years later for XPW for like, I believe their second ever show. It was either the first, I think it was their second ever show. And it's about a mile from the old Reseda, um, uh, the Legion Hall. So XPW is where you visited two of your historic landmark buildings. Exactly. <laughs> Believe me, yeah. And we get into it later. You know, I mean, we'll get yeah. into that later. But um, long story short, too late, is um, how it all weirdly tied in was the very first, that was a TV show, but my local paper had an article about an indie show in the sports page. Um, the big football and sports rivalry in Orange County is these two high schools named Servite and Modern Day. So this guy had it made sense. I saw this article in the paper, sports paper, a wrestling show. And I'm like, what is this? I got to go. And this is, I believe, 1992, I think, or so. And it was at Servite High School. And the idea is the, the guy representing Servite is giving the big baby face. And he's going to be wrestling the Monarch Mauler, who was like representing modern day. So they took this gimmick of the high school rivalry and used it in the wrestling context. So here's why I mention all this. I go to the show. The guy representing uh, Servite High School was American Wild Child Ron Rivera. I found out years later. How about that? Oh wow! <laughs> and literally, where I sat in the crowd, one row in front of me is Mr. Excitement, and I believe Blitzkrieg and a couple of the other guys from that old circle. And I'm like, when I found that years later, we're watching like, I was sitting right next to you guys. That's crazy. <laughs> and then, more or less, it all ties back in where I. This is how weird, I guess you could say, things were compared to now technologically wise. Back in the early 90s, it's not like I can meet a wrestling fan, you know what I mean? There was a guy I knew in high school, I met in junior high, and we bonded over wrestling. We went to, he had a satellite dish, we watched wrestling at his place. Um, he's from your part. I don't, I don't know him anymore, but his name's Roy. He's a, he's a, if you would know Roy Lucier is his name, you probably know who he is. He's, from, he's a big fan up there. I've seen him around. That I, sounds you know, familiar. If you knew, if you saw who he was, he would he'd be out there. But um, but through him, he started trading tapes because he would tape Lucha. And we watched Lucha, and I'm talking about the Observer in '92. And back then, it's not like you can meet wrestling fans. There'd literally be a thing called the Reader's Page, and the people with their names and addresses saying, "Oh, I'm looking for this tape. Oh, I'm looking for this and this and this and that." And through pen palling people, this guy Roy met Ron Rivera, American Wildchild, and so I went and met all these guys and then next thing you know they're doing backyard trampling wrestling and i'm there I, i'm like i don't want to get hurt i don't want to wrestle so i refereed and that's slow that's a long story short of how i uh first got in and the legend of taro was born oh i can't say legend come on don't you don't have to go that far thank you because believe me i never planned on wrestling those i'm like oh god i want to get hurt which is funny because you see a match of mine you're like really you didn't yeah <laughs> you know I don't know. Did you tell Super Dragon that at some point? Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, that was the thing too, because um, you know, 
Dragon, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think it's pretty well known that we're related. He's my cousin. You know, he's five years younger than me. So when I was breaking in, I guess, for lack of a better term, I was like, sure, I'll referee a couple shows. And he was like 14 at the time. And he was into like WF wrestling. And then through like the stuff that we were into, because we were, we were able to find out, you know, and, and you're in an area that have, if you're up north, you know, back in the day, there'd be like Japanese markets or Japanese video stores where you can just go and get all Japan, New Japan TV. Sometimes at a video store, you'll find a commercial tape and you just use mm -hmm. all that and you just slowly get more footage. And, you know, we were all getting into like Japanese wrestling and Lucha. And that's the whole birth of our whole style almost is like in the 90s. We're all discovering this and just trying to figure out what we like and what we don't like. And he's a 14-year-old kid trying to figure this all out. And that's how he slowly got in there. And, you know, and I, meanwhile, just refereeing whatever I could. And um, let me see. I'm trying to figure out how to tie this all together into my how I got started. Because that's well, – I'm thinking you're one to go long story short on all this. Oh, no. I don't, trust yeah. me. I, I actually just uh, – I'll even interject right now with an even, yeah. even bigger digression. Uh, actually, very similarly, what I did was uh, – I remember there was a video game mom and pop shop near me, which yeah. to now especially sounds ridiculous because you're like, yeah. what do you mean? It's not GameStop? What, what else right. would it be? But, you know, it's just like a regular thing. And then what they had was import PS1 oh, games. Oh, man. I think I know where and you're going. I, and I went there, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I like wrestling. And I'm yeah. looking through their games, and all of a sudden, I see all these – these Japanese wrestling games. And I'm like, wait, there are other wrestling games besides the ones I've been playing. So I grab them and I, and the guy, I go to the front guy at the front and he's like, Hey, is your PS one modded? And I'm like, no, oh. he's like, can't play them. And I was like, Oh, and he's like, but I'll tell you what, my cousin out of his garage, he puts mod chips in PS ones. <laughs> he's like, here's his number. Go get your thing. fixed." So I was like, okay. So for like 20, 30 bucks, some guy modded my PS one. I went back immediately got those games. And I was like, yeah, because he's like, hey, I'm going to make more money out of this. So yeah. Better. Good deal for him. Yeah. Because um, what I, you know, and like, God, again, like, I, you know, I'm a few years older than you. What we had was the Famicom would release, but the Superfire series, which would be, you know, for a wrestling nerd, it's it's insane games. And I think a couple of them made into like American style games were more or less, it's a blatant ripoff of every single major wrestler in Japan. And then they try to do it with Americans and some luchadors and, in back then, I think you had to like do something with the machine, with the Nintendo, like shave the side of their side to make the games fit in there. It was really bizarre, but like the Super Mario games were popular amongst all of us too, you know, back in the mid nineties. <laughs> but again, you're trying to just figure out anything back then because you know, luckily between like you know American Wildcat Ron and and another friend of mine, they would videotape to shows. WF and they would be trained into tape dealers so we can get more Japanese footage, you know? <laughs> and that was our way of networking back then, you know, just so we can just learn and study more stuff because news alert, it's not like we really trained ourselves that hard, which that might be a good story to tell you in a couple minutes. <laughs> when you're ready. <laughs> so I don't know what so are you wanting to know like how I really got involved in wrestling? Yeah, like so now you're refereeing, you know. Yeah. Uh obviously everyone around you is super getting into wrestling. What made you decide or maybe, you know, this is a wrestler peer pressure situation where finally yeah, everyone's... That's exactly what it was. Okay, because, there we go. Uh, so this would have been 1997. Dragon is 17 at this point. And now picture this. Yeah, so, you know, he was born at 80. Like, the funny thing is him and Scott Loss were born the exact same day in 1980. Yeah, and I'm like, okay. And he started training at um, 
WPW in Anaheim is like a lucha group. And so he had the lucha background. And but, you know, I, I think he wanted to do more than just lucha, but that was his first way in, you know, and I think he was like Ninja Dragon. For, and then he became Super Dragon eventually because his first match, he was Ninja Dragon with the costume, and the whole thing. There were people in the crowd chain Nina instead of Ninja and then Nina's girl. So it's like, I can't do this. Mm. So then he ended up with Super Dragon, which people made fun of his name, obviously, for years. It's like, yeah, but you know what? It was better than Ninja Dragon. You yeah. Know? Ninja, if they, if they could have said Ninja, might have worked, but they get one like he was the mo- doing so much martial arts, he more or less like punching you in, in the face and stuff like that. Not that I would know anything about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, at that point, um, like the first show I was involved in is because uh, it's just so weird. Is um, if anybody remember when Worlds Collide is the AAA pay per view in November of '94. This has been like the famous one with. Um, Santo and Octagon Masters here against Art Bar and Eddie Guerrero. Well, if, if you've never seen it, look and you have W Network, look that show up because that was an amazing match. And the next day, we decided to run our own indie show because we wanted to wrestle. And back in the 1990s, independent wrestling was like it barely existed. Yeah, there was like one show I went to that had like Sabu versus Al Snow and a few local guys, and that was about it. Yeah, you it know? was like it was either. Like flash in the pan, maybe they lasted a couple months, little organizations, yeah. or it was territory companies gripping like yeah. to the edge of that coffin, yep. like, don't bury us yet, please. Yeah. Like Lucha was the big one. Like Lucha, there'd be Lucha shows running once a week for years, no problem. They would do all pretty good crowds. I mean, I can't, it's a different style of wrestling, but still it's independent wrestling, I guess, for lack of a better term, because. It's just a guy trying to make money and get by. You know, every single week you would go and there'd be a different guy from Mexico. Like, oh, I remember bringing you up from the border and like they're in town for a weekend. Like, hey, come work here Friday night in front of like 300 people. Yeah, and until WCW and ECW started poaching all the lucha doors, really, they weren't getting work. They definitely weren't getting work in WWF at the time. That that wasn't going to happen. So before that all started happening, yeah, the lucha doors were pretty much the guys who needed to work. Yeah, exactly. And all of these, like literally guys who working in TJ over the weekends, like, Hey, I can get you extra booking in LA and they'll just bring them up. I don't know how they got them across, but they got them across, brought them in, did a show. Then they come on extra bucks, come back to TJ, do their show. And then they go back to wherever they live in Mexico, whether it's Tijuana or Mexico city, you know, and that was a good extra few bucks to pay. And that's, I don't know if it's really going, obviously now it's not going on, but that was going on for years where I got to work one lucha show on a Friday, one on a Saturday. And then everyone split the, the cost of getting the guy up there. Cause it would, it would be a draw as long as it's the person who has value. And so what we did was um, we couldn't get like Eddie or like Love Machine or those guys because they had contracts. But on that show, it was Gold Scorpio and Chris Benoit. So, uh, so we had them. They actually made an event at our first show at this little place in Fullerton, in California. Like, I think it drew 150 people. But it was more or less the first time, you know, it was like Blitzkrieg's first match, Mr. Excitement's first match. You know, more or less it's like, okay, we wrestle our trampoline and, a couple of us involved had done a little bit in the ring, but not enough to really qualify. We were much like Rev Pro, it was kind of DIY <laughs> later. Yeah. And but the fact is, oh, it makes us look legitimate that we brought literally brought these guys in. And Al Snow was supposed to do a dark match on the show is like a ninja gimmick he had. So he was like, hey, see you next day, we'll get you a payday. And he's like, okay, cool, you know. And I refereed that show, and that more or less got me at least a little bit out there and just took whatever I could. And our friends took, you know, like you know, Blitzkrieg, Excitement, ABC, we took what we could, but 
how they may want to touch us, you know, because compare, you know, we're doing some Japanese stuff or some Lucha stuff. Now compare that to like WWF style in 1990s. Okay. Like people are probably terrified of us. Yeah. They want nothing to do with us because we're doing crazy stuff back then. You know what I mean? So it, you know, we just took what we could and luckily we had, you know, people were digging Blitzkrieg because obviously you see Blitzkrieg, he was just a natural, you know, we only, what I would joke about is if Dragon had, Dragon had the drive and Blitzkrieg had like the natural ability, if we were able to mesh those two together, you know, it would have been even better. And the first kind of break we had was, and I'm saying we, even though I wasn't wrestling yet, was um, APW, Jim Wars. Somehow mm-hmm. Ron got in with them. Ron already got in with Conan from like filming shows in Tijuana and all that. And we were just itching and scratching it over we could. And I was like, I'm just refereeing up my friends. And I'm like, all right, cool. So they're going to do a show. It's going to be like Blitzkrieg, Dragon, uh, Ron, AWC, and I believe Hellblazer. Yeah. And so the, the extra deal to get us on Jim Wars, and remember, this is Jim Wars, 1997, mind you, was they wanted to, he's like, oh, I, he want, they're going to bring in two Mexican minis. And if you are, the minis are, it'd be like a mini version of the regular full-size guy's gimmick. Which I think it was in WF for a minute. There was like a mini Vader, mini Mankind, which yeah, lots of fun because those guys there were some really talented guys, you know. And so what happened was it was going to be Ultimate Dragon Seat, though. So the mini version of Ultimate Dragon versus Pequeño Piroff, which is you know Piroff was a famous star bound there. And they realized the day before that Piroff's visa had expired, mm. and they're like, you know, which and ABC's like shoot, what do we do? Do we know anybody who's short enough to do this? And they're like, oh, maybe Kevin can, oh, Kevin, Kevin can do it, Kevin can do it. And mind you, the only training I had was literally wrestling on the trampoline, mostly a dragon, just messed around having fun and just watching wrestling my whole life to where, you know, as I said, seven years old, I'm like, okay, I have a knowledge, but, you know, can I actually, I'm like, I'm like oh God, no, I don't want to do this. And literally they called me and I think it took, then about an hour and a half for me to finally just say, okay, fine, I'll do it. If you can't get Piroff from across the border, I'll do it. Fine. <laughs> Literally the next day I'm at work, I was at Home Depot, which this is the weird part, which I'm lucky. I didn't, I, I'm starting to get in trouble. My dad worked at the same Home Depot as me. So you think something would happen with this. They, I got a call saying, hey, your mom's sick. You need to go home. And I'm like, wouldn't you think they'd be asking my dad about this? <laughs> you know, that was like code for, hey, you got to go. And I'm just like, Oh God, I really don't want to do this. It's like 10 o'clock in the morning and we're in Orange County. We got to drive all the way to Hayward. That's a good six hour drive. Yep. And I'm like hyperventilating practically the whole way up. So I'm like, you're telling me my very first match is going to be versus a guy who wrestles in arena, Mexico, who's a star in Mexico. I'm like, Oh gosh. And even I was like questioning, like, can't you have Blitzkrieg do it? I gotta be talking to Blitzkrieg. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 no. And I made sure, and I remember I made sure during that night that we stood that we stood back to back and I had a half inch solar on him, like, he could have done this, you know. And so more or less I get up there and I'm wrestling ultimate dragon seat to my first match and God. It was terrifying. I mean, it's terrifying. It's scary enough doing your first match, and you're doing it where it felt like I was in a video game. I'm wearing the costume, I'm in the ring. He has speak English, now speak Spanish. Look at the referee spoke both in case something happened. Okay. So we together the most basic seven minute match. And Disco told me, and I've never seen it. I'd love to see a tape of it, but for first match, I guess it was okay. So I'm like, at least I didn't completely like, you know, 
crap out because some people have had horrible first batches. Yeah. At least I had someone good with me. You know what I mean? <laughs> but imagine your first match being at ABW Gym Wars. If you're a fan of like that era in the 90s, it was yeah. like the West Coast ECW. You yeah, know. we just talked to Michael Modest uh, a few weeks ago. Oh, we were wow, talking about yeah. gym wars, and uh, he was talking about like Vic Grimes and like flaming tables and all kinds of stuff. And yeah, gym wars was uh, was it was a crazy uh, place at times. <laughs> that's yeah, because sure. yeah, that's when Modest was there and uh, Aaron O'Grady and um, you know Vic Grimes and all those guys. And I'm just like, what am I doing here? <laughs> and that was kind of the joke too. In the end, it's like. I got actually paid a little bit more money than all the other guys who came up for the match. I'm like, I one you. Like, I was like my ch- my fun, but, but laughing. But the whole time, I someone needed to like sit me down, and slap me across the face, just like calm me down because I was pacing the hallways, and everyone there knew it was my first match. And, I, and someone should have told me just shut the f up, just get you know keep yeah. it away from everybody else, just to not make them all look bad. You know, <laughs> it's like a it's like a Mad Libs of. Yeah. You know, okay, so it's your first match. Where's it going to be? In Hayward, okay, yeah. for APW Gym Wars. And yeah. you're going to be wrestling Ultimo Dragon Sito. For, <laughs> you're like, like, and I've seen this guy, and he's great. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, God. What? what? Why? Why? <laughs> yeah, especially in, in, in uh, America, there's a lot of independent promotions that when they get the, you know, the, the minis, yeah. uh, the, it's, it's, it's played for a lot of laughs. Uh, but if you watch Lucha Minis, it's a totally different story. Yeah. They're, they're great. Exactly. That's that's where the pressure was because, like, oh, gosh, they, they're not bringing these guys up here for fun. This is going to be – he wants a real actual match. And at least, like, a few years later, I actually did come back to do one more time at, uh, at ABW in 2002, I want to say. And and Wolfgang said to me, he's like, yeah, I, you, oh, you did great today. I, I never thought I'd want to bring you back. But yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> you know, because that's how I wrestled Dragon up there. I was like, okay. You know, my that was my redemption. I'm like, okay, good. At least got to make up for that. <laughs> Did you have a lot of interaction with Roland at all your first time there? Not that I can recall. Yeah, I was like I said, I was pacing. I don't think he, he didn't look too thrilled over the whole situation because and honestly, I'm a five foot seven. I'm five foot seven. You know, it's not like I'm a mini. I'm really not. Yeah. And and the the mini limit in Mexico is five foot, and I think Ultimate Dragon Seat is right there, right at five foot. And so I was like, "This is gonna look kind of tacky." And you know what the funny part is? That wasn't the only time I wrestled as a mini. <laughs> you know? Really? Yeah, believe it or not. I think mini. I'm gonna use that. I, I can say midget, but I might get in trouble for saying that. But I. Yeah, I that's in the matches the, like that. They still advertise the word midget in wrestling yeah. like posters and stuff but yeah. i've never been comfortable with it <laughs> i don't know it's i don't i don't know how much better mini is but i i definitely don't want to say midget over i always think again. of it because it's lucha like oh the those mini super australias and it sounds so great like that you yeah. know what i mean you know but gosh because um not one the story um so uh ron abc that this guy in vegas this kid who my God, I think it was like 16 at the time. This is 1999. There was a promoter at San Diego who was going to run a show in Arizona, and he wanted to get, you know, minis. And I'm sure he didn't use that term. And he had this guy who was four foot three, weighed 160 pounds. I'm five foot seven, weighed 135 pounds. And I think he was like 16 years old. And his gimmick was the little show. Which I'm like, and I still just laugh. I love just saying that name to see people's reaction. I'm like, I'm like, oh, that's perfect. It's perfect. And, yeah. And mind you, 
you know, and we go out there and like I told you four foot three, one sixty. Now picture that frame, you know, it's yeah. And I'm at the act like he's all faster than me and all this stuff. I'm like, how am I going to pull this off? And I'm just thinking in my head, okay, I'm going to try to be like, he goes back today, just fly around for him, just do all this. And we do this match in Arizona. And literally after the match, it's still, still how um, naive I was. Moro comes up to me later talking to me like, oh, blah, 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 how, how many matches you had? It was literally like my, my sixth match at the most, I think, at that point. And I honestly told him that. And my friend and Ron's like, what are you doing? And because of all that, he didn't want to pay me. Yeah. You're paying your dues, brother. Funny part. Here's the funny part of all that. The little show, it was his first match that night. And he went up to little show, the same promoter and said, Oh man, I like your work. And I'm laughing going, I did such a good job carrying this guy. making him look all right. That I didn't, I almost didn't get paid because Ron fought to make sure I got something. And this guy was getting praised for his work. I'm like, there you go. That's how you carry somebody, I guess, for someone as experienced as I was. <laughs> it sounds like the promoter didn't really have an eye for wrestling. No, 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 no. This, yeah, he was a promoter who was out of San Diego, and I wrestled for him later, and it eh, wasn't very good either. But but what's funny is the very first Revolution Pro show, the main event, was actually Ultra Junior versus The Little Show. So, you know, you think Rev Pro, like, oh, yeah, Dragon, me, Rising Sun, Excalibur. No, the very first main event was a minis match. <laughs> Wrestling has a weird way of circling back to yeah. where you don't even think about it, but like all of a sudden you're like, wait, how did I end up back yeah. seeing these same people, the same stuff going on? It's very weird. But but you know what, too, that first show, it was at our Dojo and Anaheim, you know, because that, that little, little show, he had a bunch of fans and family. We packed out the place. Not a lot of people. It was like around 100 or so, but he packed it out that night. Like, all right, well, I guess we made the right decision. Had the, the draw on the top. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> And hopefully some of the people come back and, you know, they most likely didn't, but you know, it, it you know, we'll take, we'll take a little bit of help paying the rent. <laughs> so when you're, you know, obviously you mentioned that the, the revolution pro guys, like a lot of guys, a lot of, you said a lot of people didn't want to touch you guys. They were like, Oh, what style is this that they're doing right, right now? When did you start noticing the shift on the Indies to more of, that style because i feel like that style and you know even now today you can notice it when you watch AEW or yeah. wwe now that style is the style uh you know yeah. mixing japanese lucha plus basically like mixing everything together and throwing it all in there so when did you start noticing on the independent scene that shift that everyone started kind of going that way i mean you gotta realize i'm about the west coast pascals out here but it probably was around the like the time gorilla started that you can really more start to see it because roh has been around for like a year or so because Rev Pro started in 99, you know, and whoever could see the stuff, you know, could get out there because, you know, you always hear about the West Coast bias, you know, and if our, apparently that's real because people were able to get our tapes for a long time. It took Dragon about, I think Dragon's first time out in the East Coast around 2002 for CZW, and that helped get him out there. It probably helped expose our style as well, you know, because mm. he was the first real guy to make ways from our circle and our style to get out there. And he was really over over there from everything I had seen. And that kept going because he met Generico over there and Steen over there. And it was more or less just everyone started melding everything together. And that's might be just tape trading too, going further and further and further. Everyone's seen more footage where nowadays, you know, obviously you can see whatever you want, whenever you want. Yeah. So it's not as much of an effort. That started to change really more in the last five to 10 years once like YouTube or just able to just like download videos started to really come about. But yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I would say like oh 
oh, 304 probably. Okay. You know, yeah, because it gives it, it's going to take a little bit of time because sure you'll hold about mass, but how soon are you going to see it too? You know, you yeah. got the right person who has the right take. No, I remember uh, in high school, like, uh, I going on RF video and ordering yeah. a, I remember I got to see yeah. the uh, CZW best of the best tournament. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. it was like, and I remember watching it and it blowing my fucking mind. I was just like, this is the craziest. Like the year, what year would that have been? Cause I know dragon started there. I think, it, I think that was Oh two was, was the first year. I don't, I don't remember dragon was on it. Cause I think it was before Oh two. Cause it was, I all I remember now off the top of my head is like ruckus, Trent acid, Johnny cashmere. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Trent that acid. sounds like 2000, 2001 time. Because yeah. I remember we Epic, when Epic started in like 2001-ish, we were using like, we used Trent Acid and Ruckus a little bit. And you could see some of that there too. You could see they were incorporating some of the different styles as well. Yeah. Trent Acid was a dude that I was like, this guy's going to be huge. Yeah. It's a bummer. A bummer story. Not yeah. one, of, not the only one in wrestling, but oh, no, it's, no, absolutely not. it's one of the ones that sticks out in my head for sure. So now we're going RevPro. PWG starts up. Uh, what is that like, you know, as a, as a person who's obviously friends with people in both camps, and there was a lot of crossover, obviously. But, you know, what is that like, you know, if you're not one of the, you know, the six and you're not starting it, but, you know, you, you don't want to be a dick to everyone. You know what I mean? Like, so how do you balance the idea of, like, working for different promotions when different people you know are running it? I know, because I, I, I know there was had to be – not me in particular, because – we go at my own story. Well, separately from all this, because I more or less finished up a few months into Gorilla, but um, I know there had to be some guys who were angry because RevPro really started to change around 2002 or so. In that, the way we were trying to do it is Dragon help with the junior kind of stuff. Because anybody saw Rev RevPro, we we more or less would kind of split the heavyweight side. That'd be like the Lucha Libre title. And then you have the junior stuff because we didn't incorporate the junior belt till I believe a one maybe ish whatever. And we did our own tournament. We did the Revolution J. So you have we had a couple of different distinct styles going on, and we tried to keep it separate as much as possible. And you know there had to probably be some heat, I'm sure, because some of these guys were like, "Wait a minute, I'm not getting as much exposure because I'm this part of the card. I'm not wrestling Dragon and Excalibur, or me or whoever." And then that carried over to Gorilla, I'm sure. I'm sure that'd be some people, without naming names, I, I can think of a couple people I'm sure who could not have been happy with the fact that, well, hey, hey, I work at Pro of you guys. Why can't I work in Gorilla? Yeah. Yeah. And then the further divide happened a little bit, I would say, because um, did you ever hear of RevX? Are you aware of RevX? RevX? Why does that sound so familiar? Yeah. See, so there was a spinoff kind of a Rev Pro that started in around 2002 or so. RevPro was more or less running shows at uh, Frankenstein's, you know, yeah. in the ministry. And then um, I want to say it was XPW, I think, was all more or less done at that point. And, yeah, we'll, we'll have to get back to XPW at some point. But through Ron making connections, um, I think it was through, like, Chaos and a couple of the other dudes, he started RevX, which would run at a theater in, like, Southgate, which is, like, a suburb of L.A., and it would be, it would say Rev Pro, but it was like a different style. And that was a little bit more Americanized and more hardcore kind of stuff. And it was weird for us because the stuff that I would do or Dragon would do, it was a different audience. So it wasn't really getting over to the same way. And, mm. and that was a little frustrating for us too. You know what I mean? Because we're like, this is what we like to do. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, and meanwhile, you would have like 
ABC, Angel, and they're doing more mixed hardcore and American stuff, and that's what's getting over that audience. And we're like, nah, okay. You know, and I wouldn't be surprised if that a little bit maybe led to a little bit more of the PWG thing happening. Because I think, um, are you aware of MBW Millennium Pro? Millennium Pro. That sounds familiar too, but I don't remember it. That was a group that ran out of the valley. And um, I think Top Gun mentioned Loki versus Dragon. Mm -hmm. Um, They did that show and they would bring in a couple like, like, that was like the first time they bring an East Coast indie guy to wrestle a West Coast indie guy. And I think they kind of had the ideas, oh, hey, what if we do it like this where we bring in someone, an East Coast person, blah, 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 blah. And we did a little bit, we brought in like uh, Mike Quackenbush, I think, for our second Rev J in 02 and just try to put a little money aside to bring in somebody to make us more exposure on the East Coast. At the same time, we're seeing like, oh, it'd be kind of cool to do like kind of like an all-star kind of show. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And that's kind of, I mean, especially now, as years progress, that's what PWG kind of became. But it was more I was like, hey, let's make it to where the mix of us for these East Coast guys. And that's what ROH kind of was too in the beginning. You almost see like an all-star indie show. Yeah, I think a lot of that, there was a few people who started having that idea in the early 2000s. There was APW yeah. with King of Indies. Of course. Yeah. And a few of those where it was kind of like, okay, let's like put together these things. And a lot of them were like one-offs, like, like King of right. Indies, where it was like, okay, we're going to do a tournament and, right. you know, that kind of thing. But then like, you know, yeah, fly-ins, if people don't understand now, especially if they're younger, the indie scene, fly-ins is, is a regular thing nowadays. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, it definitely wasn't then. Absolutely yeah. Definitely. Like I could probably count to you. Then I could probably count the number of flyings I had off the top of my head. Probably. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I like four or five. If that, no, one, two, three. Oh God. I'm going to get four fly-ins. Jeez. Listen to that. For a guy who wrestled from like 99 to like, I'm oh, sorry, 97 technically to 2003 on the regular. Yeah. <laughs> and nowadays, don't get me wrong all these people are extremely talented and I'm not even going to name who I'm talking about, but there's a lot of people that do fly-ins for shows and I'm looking at it like, yeah, I get that they're like indie darlings, but the average person doesn't know who the hell these people are. It's crazy. It seems insane to me. Some of the people that get flown in for shows that I'm like, really? Like, did you really like, does the draw really pay for their ticket? I don't know. I got it. I I doubt it. And, that's part of where ROH first started. I would hear like they saw what um, King of Indies did. And they're like, well, if we do this, they were owned by RF Video. And RF Video is selling videos of shows. So it's like, okay, well, that makes sense. You know, if you've got this and you can sell enough tapes to make it worth your while, great. Yeah. And that's what PWG kind of was at the beginning. It's like, okay, well, let's try to supplement everything by doing that, you know? Yeah, I think the selling of merch slash video is really like – where like ROH, especially in the beginning, I'm like, there's no way ROH yeah. is making money off yeah, just yeah, tickets. Yeah. That's, right. that's impossible, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you could definitely say the same for Gorilla for a few years in there, you know? Yeah, there you go. Well, yeah, there you go. I guess that's all businesses though, right? I mean, yeah. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, it helped out. They got like their DVDs and I think, uh, and like, I think it was like iSpots was, was, you know, helping them distribute and it's like they worked together to make it work off both of them, you know? So let's go back to XPW because... Yeah. Uh, I always love hearing XPW stories. I know a few people who have wrestled in XPW uh, pretty well. Luke Hawks is a pretty good friend of mine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've, I, I've always loved hearing XPW stuff. But so you said you actually, I, I knew about the one match. You said you, so you said you wrestled in a, in a, in a way so, earlier yeah, show as well? On, I believe it was their second ever show. This would have been wow. August of 99. And um, 
the match was uh, myself and Mr. X- I mean, I was still Ultra Charles Jr. then. I mean, that means we'll figure out the, I can tell the whole Charles thing later, whatever. But it was Ultra Charles Jr. and Mr. Excitement versus American Wild Child and Yakuza. He later wrestled in um, uh, Refro under the name Dark Side as well. And it was one of those things where I don't know how Ron made the connection, but he got us this match. And this is still the times where we have I think, I don't, it's right around the time we had the dojo. And we didn't have any students, which I'll get in the dojo in a minute when I'm done telling all this. Okay. So we got booked on the show, and it's like, okay, this is cool. It's good exposure for us. And it's like, all right, we were told, okay, cool. You guys are going to be on. I think we we're on first second, like, oh, you're going to have 12 minutes. Do whatever you're going to do. Like, okay, cool. And we go, we go out there, and literally about two minutes in, they tell us to go home. And we were just pissed. So, I, like, and I come, and, you know, excitement goes out first. He's getting jumped, and I come out. And you remember my old outfit, you know, I mean, the old outfit, you know, you, you see this, uh, this is my old mask. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know how I found this one. So yeah, but this old thing. And so the whole crowd back, back in those, back in those days, especially, and because that was a goofy full costume, they just can't power range with the guy. And I was like, Oh God. And I'm running out there and I'm doing my thing. And I'm like, you mother, <laughs> you call me power ranger. My like, God, that's what I really don't want to deal with. And I do a couple of good spots. And then it's like, I got to do one dive and they're like, oh, everyone goes crazy. I, holy shit. I'm like, okay, good. We're good. And also they tell us to go home. We're like, oh, we were just mad. And we literally just go to the finish. We went like four minutes or so. We had all this stuff we're going to do. Then we go backstage and I remember, like, I don't think I was the only one, but I was openly pissed off about being cut off like that. And I think we really got some bad looks back there, <laughs> you know, for, for complaining openly about being having our match cut like 10 minutes. Yeah. And that was a weird show too because – like it was like major guns was back there i think like big big dick dudley missy hyatt major Amy guns and <laughs> so, it was just a such a weird hodgepodge of people and then uh ron has his camera and he's filming stuff backstage and i'm and oh god he probably has still on tape somewhere and i'm saying it's missy hyatt and he's talking to missy and and he has Missy hit me at the, at the cane, Singapore cane. And I'm just like, oh. And, and then she starts giving Sal, Sal. And I go down and I'm selling. And then she goes, now lick my shoe. And I'm like, oh, God. And I end up licking her heel. And Ron has it on video. I'm like, oh, my God. Why, what is happening to me here? And then literally about a minute later, Big Dick Dudley comes up to Ron, like cussing him out for, for having the gall to film people backstage to where he made him – give up the videotape. And then of course, Ron Kate, they didn't give him a different tape. All right, there you go. <laughs> like beautiful. Except he has that tape by somewhere of me looking to see how it's high heels. <laughs> so what was, so, you know, you have a, a unique perspective and that you were there very early and then much later in XPW. Yeah. So what was, what was the difference between the first time you're there and the second time you're there, as far as like the vibe, like what was, what did it seem like, you know, backstage, any of that it stuff? Seemed, it seemed a little more party-like. Everyone's just at, yeah, hey, this is cool. But probably because it was new and it was just like, oh, my God. You know, some of these guys, it was like, this is the real first chance of, like, chaos and some of these younger dudes in L.A. had gotten, you know, because we – oh, you know what? I, 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 we got this connection through Kevin Kleinrock. I forgot that Kevin was trying to break in. He was doing a little federation and, and – um, AWC and Dragon did a match for him the year before. And I'm like, that must have been our connection, how we got in there. And um, they must have always kept us on the back of, of their minds because 
the time when I wrestled there again was seriously like a year and a half later. It would have been like 2001 or so, you know, and so there it was it, like it's I don't I, I think it's like my second favorite match of my career. Probably it may not be my second best, but definitely the second most memorable because, you know, it was like, oh, it's so hype. It's the match. Probably, if anybody see a match of mine, it's probably that one because it was me and uh, Rising Sun against Dragon and Excalibur. And part of the fun, I can always make fun of Dragon because it's that blue gear in that match, which he hated that blue gear. Oh, my gosh, he hated that blue gear. And it's like, I just laughed. because like just one of his television, only television matches is wearing that blue gear that he hated so much. And the fact for me, going back to where I said at the very beginning, this is the Olympic Auditorium, which I'm just like, my God, I went here. I was going here when I was a kid. And I was just like, this is amazing for me. And my, like I said, my dad went there in the 60s going to shows and. I went there in the 90s later as a teenager to see like Lucha shows. And I'm just like, this is really happening. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can't believe this. You know, and um, we went out there and you saw the match. I'm sure you see it. Maybe you'll yeah. see it. People love the match. And um, so then the weird part was, of course, because you want you got the atmosphere. And it seemed to be a laid more, more laid back atmosphere at that point. And so we're doing all our stuff. And um, I don't know how recently we saw the match, but towards the end, Rising Sun – that had he had trouble doing springboards in that match for whatever reason. I think those two times he had an issue with a springboard. And I think the second time he kind of like fell on his head and Dragon, you know, when Dragon gets mad, you go, you better watch out. And, you know, do whatever and led to the finish of the match. And we're going backstage. I'm carrying him over the shoulder. We're selling, we're selling. And we go past the curtain and everyone is watching is just standing up applauding for us. And it's like, and and, and, but Jimmy, meanwhile, I'm sorry, Rising Sun Jimmy, he, I guess, yeah, I can say it. He was so, he is livid because he messed with these springboards. Like everyone's applauding, going, like, like, oh my God, what you guys do is so good. And he, I let him go and he's walking. He is so pissed off. He kicked the trash can over and knocked it over while everyone's applauding. It's like the old record scratches at a party. Like, yeah. shoot. And I'm like, oh no, we just, we're at so much heat. <laughs> you know, I'm saying back in my head, but I just like, oh no, like this, this just kind of kills it. And we go back there, you know, we go, we go for the backstage and, and it was, uh, oh, Steve was on, I'll say it there, like Steve was on of APW comes up to us and he said, well, I'm sure probably a couple other dudes had to be feeling because you remember, we're the opening match. He comes up to us like saying, well, thanks guys. What the hell are we supposed to do now? <laughs> you know, and, and we're just like, well, I was, sorry, we're, we're doing what we're told because what we were told to do was go out there and do your shit. You know, it's like, all right, we're going to do our match. Because yeah. that's exactly what Rob and Kevin wanted. So we're not going to hold back. You know, if that's what you want us to do. We're going to go for it. And obviously the match got over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was a, it, it's always funny to me when, when guys are basically like, no, you guys have to be worse than you are because yeah. I don't want to do too much in my match. Basically it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's pretty standard, but it's 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 kind of annoying at the same time. Because at the same time, heard, this is a different standard in two thousand one too. You know, yeah. what I mean, it's still a different standard. Yeah, and, but you know, you do what the board tells you. Yeah, <laughs> but especially down. especially you know when you're working the I know this is this was XPW and at the time I guess you could say it's a higher tier of indie. Yeah. Uh, but even so, you know, you're all you know the independent contractor fucking thing. You know, yeah. you're all trying to get over. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> it's yeah, and granted, I mean. Uh, I was never looking to make a living in wrestling. I was like, there's no way. Come on. I was like, 
five foot seven hundred thirty five pounds. I know I'm not gonna make as a wrestler. That's why I figured if I'm gonna go into wrestling, I'll be referee. I'm the perfect size for a ref, you know. And then you know I end up going to this detour that you know that I mentioned earlier, and I'm like I'm just gonna just go along with it and have fun while I can. And when it's not fun, I'm like yeah, I'm good. Yeah. You know, I made some money, but I made yeah. a little bit of money, but it it wasn't through wrestling directly, which you know, hell, I'm not so going to it. Are you aware of what the Nikki show? Do you know, do you even know what that is? No. So here, I'll tell you how, I'll tell you how I made money. American watch out made money. Here's how Red Pro almost financed itself. So I'm going to go back to 99. We, we got the dojo and more or less we trained, we trained wherever we could. We would do shows here and there, but I would help sell videotapes on eBay. This year, this, there's your 1999 time capsule. We always would have a handful of tapes we saw on eBay on an auction weekly and just try to like sell to everyone, whoever bids on it. Like, all right, here, oh, you pay nine, you want bid nine here, you want us to buy it for nine here. You know, we would just try to make money that way selling videotapes because it's 1999 for whatever compilation we would have. It's just like, okay, well, hopefully it helps pay the rent, you know, in addition to running our school and, you know, because um, I will say that, you know, I said Dragon got trained, America Watchout did, uh, got trained in Lucha in Tijuana at the auditorium. That was run by uh, Ray Mysterio Sr. Just to give credibility to his background, because with the Ref, the ref Road Dojo obviously had some great guys who actually came yeah. out of it. And, um, yeah, I guess if, some, if people aren't familiar, they might hear what we've been saying, and they'd be like, wait, did, did, are they, were these guys all just backyarders? It's like, well, no, there's, there, there was... Mean, you know. I started there. I mean, a bunch of us started there, but you know, we, 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 we got credibility later, you know, obviously. Cause, yeah. You know, cause the first time I met Sky was... Scorpio's guy and Quicksilver was, we actually had a guy who was going back at wrestling. They actually rented our dojo to use our ring and do a real show. And they were talking about, oh, our best guy is this kid. I hope he's not getting mad. We're talking about Scorpio Sky Andrews. I'm like, okay. You know, like, oh yeah, this guy, this is the guy right here. He's going to be good. And this guy had to be like 16 years old at that, you know, at that point. I'm just like, watch this guy. I'm like, oh my gosh, who is this guy? You know? And then yeah. obviously through that, through doing that, connecting, they started coming and training with all of us at the dojo and eventually obviously lucky i mean you had sky you had quicksilver bosch came through us you know um and they're on like the uh the bucks did some training with us so they were starting to get into things and so somehow our, our dojo which <laughs> started with oh god here i'll throw myself under the bus a little bit here we uh i mentioned that wwe school in anaheim earlier um we actually used to sneak in to where they train once a week. <laughs> it's 20 years later. I can, I can get away yeah. with this now. We would know when they would train and they would finish around eight o'clock. So we would go, we would all go together Wednesdays at eight 30. It'd be like wild child, myself, let's Creek dragon, just go a couple others. And we would just, we found a spot where we could sneak through the fence and just go. We would just roll around the ring and do things for a couple months. And one night when we were messing around, a rope broke. <laughs> And we're like, oh, now what? And we didn't know what to do. And but and you know what the stupidest, you know, you know how brilliant we were. We came back the next Wednesday. So of course they knew we were. They, they knew to check on that Wednesday. And Martin's look, you know, the promoter Martin's looking like, really, it's you guys, you know. And, and we're like trying to pass off. Oh, we would never disrespect the ring, you know. And like, like you, you know, we're probably trying to pass off like someone cut the rope and we're like, no, and you know, we're all just like, oh my God, we're going to get arrested for this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I think more or less we had to do a few matches, you know, some of us had to do a few matches for Martin as penance for that, you know, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> not the worst. Not, 
that's definitely paying attention to working for free for Lucha Promotion, in, you know, in the LA area. Yeah. <laughs> but that's where I got my training. <laughs> was in that situation initially. And then obviously doing whatever I did, what little I did in Red Pro once we had our Yeah. Training. So what about, you know, on a lot of these episodes, I like to talk about the weird uh, backstage, you know, idiosyncrasies of wrestling, you know, the, the handshake, what the podcast yeah. is called indie handshake because you know, oh, you gotta, you gotta give them one of these, you gotta give yeah. them one of these little guys right here. Um, so when you guys are, you know, kind of training a little punk rock, a little do it yourself, oh, uh, yeah. you know, was there uh, some clashes as far as that stuff? Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Because we literally, when we were first going to shows, I think it'd be like, we're all just like, why the fuck are they not shaking our hands? <laughs> you know, this is like 97 98 and we're just yeah. like and meanwhile they're thinking we're assholes and we're thinking they're assholes you know what i mean and i'm just like, yeah we oh we didn't we didn't know the culture we did not know the culture because the few of us who were legitimately trained were trained in lucha so it's a completely different world you know because i don't like i said i speak lucha but that's not in a spanish actually like hey you know you know, dragon obviously doesn't speak spanish uh, Wild Child spoke some, but not fluent enough to maybe get by. But still, in the American atmosphere, oh god, instant, oh flaming heat. I'm sure because they're looking at us. And, you know, they're probably looking. At, oh, we all, obviously we're snug, which we kind of were. You know, <laughs> we like we trust each other. We hit each other hard. You watch any of our stuff, and we lay it in some. We're not looking to hurt each other, but we lay it in. But oh yeah, yeah. Oh, back especially back in that period, we didn't know any better. That's all yeah. it came down to. And uh, would you say that that uh, familiarity and snugness, especially with Super Dragon, uh, if anyone's watching this or listening to this and hasn't watched a Taro Super Dragon match, um, <laughs> first of all, I don't know how you stumbled upon an indie wrestling podcast without seeing a match of that of that sort. But hey, I digress. Um, yeah, what was it? I mean, Super Dragon, you know, it's no secret. Everyone's kind of it's kind of a joke about you know he could be stiff at times. Um, uh, yeah, you know. but you know, it seems it was a little more with you. Do you think it's because your cousins? Is that, is that yeah, what it yeah, is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, probably. But you know what? I mean, if you look later, I, I would watch like Quicksilver and uh, Generico, and I'd be like, "Oh gosh, that would be me if I kept knowing." <laughs> you know what I mean? But it was that family trust because, like I said earlier, he literally grew up across the street from me. I had like yeah. I was like five years older than him, so I mean, we're cousins, but we we're we kind of had like a brother relationship, mm. you know, and. And it's funny because it went two ways because there's times where I was going to have Matthews watching over me going, be careful. And I was just laughing going, you're telling me to be careful, you know? But I always knew it's like, you know what? He's going to be stiff with me, but I know he, he's not looking to hurt me. You know what I mean? Because I make him look great, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, and then in return, he makes me look great because I never thought it was that great. I was as good as my opponent, I thought, for the most part. Like, I'll give you like a great example. He's like, hey, Kevin, I got this idea for a move, and we're on the trampoline. He's like, "So here, get get on my shoulders." So you know, I'm about to tell you, right? It's like, okay, if I have you like on the torture rack, and I lift you up like this, and I just drop you down like that, and the power, and like you know, power driver, obviously psycho driver, you know? Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, okay, we might be able to make it work, and we we perhaps on the trampoline a few times. Like, okay, I think we're safe, you know, the way we're doing it. I'm like, I I I feel okay, and then. Literally, the first time we actually did it in the in a match was, um, it was the first match really got Red Pro exposure. It had been like the July two thousand match, 
which now I think is finally on YouTube again. Someone finally put it up there. And that was like what got us first recognized whatever small internet media there was back in like the 2000s. Mm. You know, that was the first tape bars that really made some traction of RepFro. And that's the first time you did it. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, took it. I'm like, okay, I'm good. All right. <laughs> and then later you saw, you know, I mean, but look, like I said, I'm real thin. And the joke was, you know, as small as I said I am, I'm even lighter when I go up for moves. You know what I mean? I'm about 35 and I'm like, all right. And I go up so light too. Yeah. You know, we would make fun of Rising Sun because he was like similar to my size, but he would be like dead weight going up. Like he never would go up for anything. I'm like, oh my God, why are you weigh twice as much as you do? <laughs> uh yeah rev pro um it's hard to look up rev pro stuff for a couple reasons one uh there's pro wrestling revolution ran by uh gabe up here in northern california and two because revolution pro in uk also calls himself rev pro (laughs) and it's the fact he calls himself rev pro like why did you do that that's going to be hard but um there was a guy um uh, at Rob Viper has been, I think that's his name on YouTube, but I know, I know him because I met him gorilla. He started to put up some of the stuff from like 2000. And that's another problem is it's all VHS. Yeah. All of it's VHS. So it's like, you got to go to the problem of digitizing it and all that. And, you know, I even talked to, to Ron, ABC about like, Hey, can we put some of this stuff up there? Are you going to care? Not that there's money to be made. It's just like, I tell people, oh, you be a wrestler. And like, and I literally find like, two matches of mine on YouTube. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. But now at least there's a couple of matches out there and I'm like, oh, do I really want to watch this? And I'm like, for 2000 Indie, it held up way better than I thought it would. It's the experience I was and we we're I'm like, oh, good. Thank goodness. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that's the thing about the Indies is, you know, you always think something's not very good. Oh yeah. Until you watch another indie show and you go, oh, never mind, because <laughs> sometimes, like, sometimes yeah. you know the, the gamut of of quality on an indie show really ranges from like some of the greatest stuff you'll ever see in your life to like the absolute oh, drizzling of shits. And it's you know what though, that was the worst thing to watch the bad lucha match. Like if you go to indie lucha shows, work, bad lucha is almost like the worst wrestling <laughs> you can imagine because it, that bad lucha is like two out three falls, thirty minutes, and you're just like, oh. Gosh, just put a bullet in my head. <laughs> and a funny idiocracy I saw among guys was like the guys who would be like, "Oh my god, my match was great!" Blah 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 blah. It's like they're usually the guys who are amongst like the guys who I'm like, "No, I'm gonna be nice again." Like, yeah, like, no, and the guys are like, "Oh my god, my match was bad." Blah blah blah, and they're nitpicking themselves to death. Those usually need the guys who are amongst the better dudes I found technically and work wise in my experience in wrestling, like that's kind of funny how it is, you know? Yeah. It's uh, for a while, me and the other, uh, the other host who does the other, the Lucha episodes for this, uh, Jesus Cruz, yeah. we were both doing stand up at the same time, doing like open mics and stuff like that. He's, he went on further than I did. I did it for a few months and I quit. Uh, but I always found the same thing at like an open mic, like, cause you would be there in the beginning with like all the people who were at the open mic before like a crowd right. gets there. And it was always the dude who's the loudest who's the most like flamboyantly like, Hey, I'm the shit man. Like it was that guy who would go up there and just eat ass on stage every time. And I'm just oh, like, man. like the first time I saw him, I met him and I was like, Oh man, this guy must be great. <laughs> and, just, you watch, and, you're like, oh. and I watched it I'm like, what is happening right now? <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I saw that plenty at any shows. Like, Oh my gosh, why do you think you're good? Why? Why? I mean, not that I'm such, such so great, but 
I have more of a clue than this guy. You know what I mean? You know, because I'm seeing what I'm doing wrong, you know, and trying to work on that as opposed to, you know, just focus on what I'm doing right, you know? Yeah. I, I'm, I always say like, you know, for me, wrestling has always been, and I've said this multiple times in this podcast, so I kind of feel like I'm repeating myself over and over again, but yeah. I always say wrestling is like a buffet. I like watching different things for each match. Mm-hmm. I like seeing a lot of different stuff. So for me, I just, I just like when people try their best at a certain thing that they, that they, that they have a passion for doing. Yeah. Like if you love Lucha, do Lucha. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you'll see like people like trying high spots and stuff like that. And you're like, I don't think you're the guy for this. Like, yeah. I don't, you know, and, and, and I think that's much worse. I don't know. No, you're absolutely right. Cause for myself, it, and this, this was where Dragon helped me too. It's like, okay, I know you're not good at this. So let's not do that. You know, you're gonna find certain things. I'm like, I am not going to do this kind of thing because that's, that just, it just, I just didn't do it well for whatever reason. Like, let's stick to what makes you look good and we'll incorporate that in the match. It'll make the match better. It'll make the flow better. And it'll keep me over. And in fact, I'll keep him over, you know? Yeah. Oh, man. Any other uh, interesting XPW stuff when you were there? Or, I, I sorry, I keep going back to that, but XPW is just... No, it's okay. Uh, I mean, because like I said, it was just that, that, that time. And then I, <coughs> the time in Reseda... <laughs> which I already mentioned the best part there, you know, the videotape. Because we did a house show the next day in San Bernardino Arena, which, God, that was a disaster. There was like 50 people there at that. And I was like, oh, so bad. And then next, then that. And no, unfortunately, I, I wish I could have had more because I don't know what happened. I never got brought back. I was like, did I say something wrong? Yeah. And I even think Rising Sun came back for another match after that. I was like, but I hmm. was fine in this match. Yeah. And then Calver had the whole thing where he had to deal with being mixed with Kevin Kleinrock. I don't even remember that whole nonsense. Oh, that was so bad. That storyline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it was a weird time. XPW especially was, was a yeah. weird situation because it was like this weird, like we want to be ECW, but more yeah. extreme than ECW. Right. And but I will have to say, I, and to go back to that, I forgot one, a big thing really happened was that first time we wrestled in Reseda is they actually had two guys who were gonna do a uh, uh, almost a, a MMA like shoot style kind of fight match, and the group was called UFO. It was an affiliate of Anoki, but this is where I'm gonna tear everything to Rev Pro, and it actually had a huge impact on us later. Was we met Paul T that night. If you know who Paul T is, he was actually the original uh, commissioner of Rev Pro. I was never Pro of PWG. Sorry, mm-hmm. but we met him and we networked through him, and he was the guy who first started bringing like. Japanese talent over to RevPro. Mm. So that was like a big accidental connection that we made that night. And obviously Larry and PWG, because Paul would help book, you know, book us. I'm sure he would have to be the caveat for like the Dragon Gate guys originally coming into PWG back in 0607, I believe it was. And, you know, like that's a very, un- very, you know, unspoken hero of Gorilla was, you know, was Paul because he really helped us make like all kinds of connections just through simply being the right guy in the right place and knowing the, the language because he would help bring over Nozawa. Like Nozawa is a regular guy we had in rep pro there and uh, Kiku, uh, well now Kiku Taro, you know, yeah. he, his first matches in America were in rep pro. Yeah. Uh, I was reminded again the other day of one of the greatest clips of all time, which is uh, you, Kiku Taro and Talwar. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. One, two. Oh! Kikutaro, instead of breaking up the hole or breaking up 
bring up the pinfall attempt uh, on Cold Cabana. He's saying he's talking to Just saying he just kicked Taro. And uh, you kicked Taro. Kicked Taro. Saying yes, I am kicking Taro. You just kicked Taro. Yes, my name is Kiku Taro. He said yes, my name is Kiku Taro. Top Gun Tower. Says enough shenanigans as he throws him out of the ring. I saw that get tweeted out. Like I forgot how funny that was. It was like, so funny. <laughs> you know, yeah. I I literally had to lay on the mat and hide because that literally was you know when my guy was playing. It's just like. Oh, I'm gonna. You know, he comes up and kicks me, and I'll say, "Here and what are you doing?" That's Taro. I was like, "Ah, yes, I'm Kikutaro." And I don't know how. I don't know how John get the straight face. I'm laying on the mat, looking at the mascot. I'm just like, "Oh my gosh, what's happening?" <laughs> I just had to sell even longer. As I'm like, that's one of the few times I'm like laughing in the ring. I'm like, "Oh, this is fantastic." <laughs> See, I did not. Yeah, that was that was spur of the moment. I didn't know that. Yeah, I thought that oh, was completely spur of the moment. Yeah, I had some <laughs> fun times with because I never wrestled Kiku, but I tagged him. I tagged him in before he had the mask gimmick in ref for a couple times. And I refereed, I think I refereed his, yeah, two of his matches in PWG, that one and a match in 04 when he was still Evison. And he brought over one of the Osaka pro guys, uh, Kushibo Kamen. He was like the clown gimmick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, let's go back a little bit. Yeah. I want to, cause I, I'm a big fan of indie gimmicks, especially when they're outlandish. We mentioned Kikutaru. Uh, so how is, Ultra Taru, how is Taru? How is all this born? How does oh, this happen? Okay. So yeah, so that's I can I can make this go really, I can make this go way back. I can tie this back to my very first Lucha show. <laughs> I can tie it way back to this because it's just so small world. My very first indie show I went to in 1992 with a guy who I met earlier and a guy we met through reading the observer. We met him somewhere and he he was old enough. He drove us up. I'm like 17. He drove us up to LA for a random lucha show at his venue called Cal State LA. Um, that venue's most known for, they had one of the weirdest matches. And I always like telling you about this match. It, and it's on YouTube. It was, I hope I can remember everybody in this. It was at Sushi Onita, um, Ildo Santo, and oh gosh, I want to say Tarzan Goto. I might have the wrong third guy there, but it was against Negro Casas. Uh, Tim Patterson and somebody else. And it was one of these matches on a handheld that Dave Meltzer gave five stars back in like 1992. It was like the most weird hybrid. We have Lucha FMW and it's just like a masterpiece. Just Santo and Negro that were amazing back in that period. Just seeing Onito with his Japanese contingent. It's just a weird clusterfuck that comes together perfectly. But the reason why I'm mentioning that is I got to go there a few months later for an indie show. And actually on that show was Ultra Taro. <laughs> And in that show, he actually blew his knee out doing a toe bag, which is terrible. Like, yeah. I saw him get carded out. I didn't even realize, like, oh, my God, what happened to this dude? And funny sidebar is Mr. Excitement was actually at that show, too, before I knew him. <laughs> so I keep bumping into Mr. Excitement at random, just random wrestling shows before I met him. And so what happened was that guy ends up becoming um, another gimmick called Leon Negro. And later he became the second Sikosis in AAA. Okay. Went to WCW, I guess, paying to go to AAA, had the right, had, he thought he had the rights to Sikosi, and he made another Sikosis. So it's this guy. So the guy who had the Ultra Tarl gimmick somehow sold to this guy we knew. Um, and this guy wrestled those Ultra Taro. Yeah, Ultra Taro. He wrestled Ultra Taro doing shows around and 
wasn't very good. I mean, I hate to disparage the guy, but it wasn't very good. And for whatever reason, he owed Ron money, AWC. So as payment for him owing Ron money, he gave him the costume and the gimmick. <laughs> so when he needed a mini to wrestle Ultra Dragon Seat, though, I became Mini Ultra Draw Jr. because I didn't have gear. And he just had that in this costume, and I wore it. You know, um, it was one of those costumes where, hey, you need a guy? Here, you're here. So when I said I did my first match that day in ABW, the next day at a baseball stadium where the Lake Elsinore Storm played, I only got home. I couldn't have bed that entire weekend. So Blitzkrieg actually wore my gear and wrestled Mini Ultra Charles Jr. the next day at the baseball stadium in Lake Elsinore against Ultra Dragon Seat, though. So there you go. There's your. So wow. that was like a gimmick that got passed around. I think. I don't think Dragon was Ultra Charles, but I know Mr. Excitement was Ultra Charles Trace once. Because also, I was Ultra Charles Jr., so he had to be Trace. It was like, if you ever watch Rev Pro, like the guy in Arrow Gimmick or in Lucha Vivo now, it's called the Crazy Chickens. Mm-hmm. It's more or less, if you're starting, you're going to get this gimmick. Whether you want it or not, you're going to have to be this gimmick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, until I inherited because Ultra Charles Jr. kind of stuck around for some reason. Yeah. So that's how that started. And then you just and, kept it the whole time, basically. Yeah, I kept it in. Um, it, it was 2001. Um, I was I was a little like ugh, about wrestling burned out, and I had some stuff going on, and I was like, ah, I, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a break. I can go into more details, and I'll just say I decided to take a break. And so, and at the same time, I was a little frustrated because I knew people could never get my name right. Like, what? Your name's Ultra what? What? Ultra what? What? Junior? I'm like, Ultra Charles Junior. Can't you get that right? It's Ultraman. Do you know Ultraman? It's Ultra Taro. It's another character in the series. And people couldn't get the name right. And so, and actually the guy who was Ultraman in Mexico actually got sued and he had to change his name. So I was like, I wasn't going to go anywhere, but you know what? I'll, I'll just be Taro. Let me just make a Taro. So we did an angle where I retired and um, we did the salt ceremony at the end. I turned on disco and decided, like, I'm not Ultra Taro anymore. I'm Taro. Uh, and I was like a heel mantra for a little while. And and the ironic part for me was I was laughing because people would make fun of me by, like, by doing a Ultra Taro Junior dance. They would go, Ultra Taro Junior. Because I'd do a little thing like, don't you call me that name anymore. <laughs> like, oh, God, this is my girl, like Daryl Strawberry Chan. I'm like, now you bastards get my name right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. I appreciate you being on the podcast, but now it is time to take it home. All right. The Booker has ran out. He is pissed off. He is screaming. I'm long-winded. No, it's totally fine, (laughs) but I'm okay with it. I'm going to – fuck it. We'll do it live, right? Anyway, um, (laughs) uh, so these are some rapid-fire questions. Feel free, of course, to uh, digress and go further. Totally fine. There's no hard rules here. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Any more favorite road stories that you've had? Uh, the most random one we did was um, we actually filled up a minivan with like eight or eight of us or so. It was so crowded. I literally had to sit on the floorboard of a minivan from LA all the way to San Francisco. Um, are you aware of Incredibly Strange Wrestling? Yes. So this is where I'm going to... I gonna also do. know uh, Ron Head pretty well. Well, that's what I'm going to go into. Okay. <laughs> so that's the beauty. I'm glad you know that. So there was Incredibly Strange Wrestling and I actually refereed for one of the original shows under our mask uh, back when they used to use Lollapalooza. But there was like a Northern California version and a Southern California version. But then Ron Head and JR started the 
extremely strange wrestling. And we knew Ron. Ron actually uh, came down. You remember I mentioned the show with uh, Ben Watt Too Cold. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually came down and actually filmed and announced our show for us. So we always had that connection. And and I think and I met J.R. Benson actually managed me my first match against Ultra Zagazito to go full circle. Wow. Yeah. So more or less, they wanted us to come up for this show. Like, okay, fine, let's do it. We were just at that point where we're just, oh my gosh, we gotta get a booking. You know, it's 1998, I think. And I think I was even gonna rap. I wasn't even gonna wrestle. We tried six hours all the way up there, and and meanwhile, we're all sneaking into like a days room, days in hotel room, hotel, motel. Come on, San Francisco. But a days in is like you know cheap for San Francisco. And meanwhile, it's eight of us, and we have two beds, and it's like. How does he get in there? And we see this like this guy who's like a security guard and a black gentleman wearing a cowboy hat, and he's a security guard. We're like, how do we see why this guy? He's like, okay, and then we would see him go by and we would just slowly, slowly go into the room and they'd be like, we would literally take the mattresses off the floor and like two of us would sleep on each mattress of the two beds. You know, I don't know if you ever had that in your in you're seeing that in indie days. I was like, okay, good. We got all eight of us to a bed. Yeah. Okay, phew, good. And we do this show. And the very first match is like J.R. Benson against somebody in some crazy extreme match. And they're like breaking like bongs over the head. There's glass and shit everywhere. And we're like, we want to do our stuff. We want to, we were going to do stupid gimmicks or we we're going to do, but we were going to um, do our style because that's what we we're all about. We just want to get a chance to do our, our, you know, Lucha and pro wrestling, yeah. whatever we can. And we're looking at our shit in brother. And, you know, everyone backstage was so pissed off that we said, we're not going to do this. We literally decided, like, we're not going to do this. And I don't know, Disco Machine did not go into this on the show when he was on a view. So he was supposed to have his first match that night on that show. And his opponent, his family came up from Southern California for this show, came in, saw all this crazy stuff going on in the ring, and his family and him just left. They left the show entirely. It was in a little room of like 20 people at the most. It was just a oh, night. Wow. It was just like, well, it was extreme hardcore match in 1998 when not a lot of people not seen that back then. Yeah. And, you know, we were bitter going, ah, we are. And we decided, like, no, we're not going to do this. And another crazy thing that happened in that show was, um, oh, shoot, what's her name? Jim Cornette's wife, Stacy, was like a second in that match. She mm. literally jumps off the apron at some point during the match and completely like breaks her ankle in like two or three places. Ugh. And you see her laying there while all this medlam and mayhem's going on. She's screaming in terror. We're trying to just try to get her to the back and call an ambulance for her and just get her out of there. And I'm just like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> you know? We want to do a match, you know. And and we and meanwhile, I'm like trying to clean the ring. I'm wearing a mask as a referee and. And the show was literally called Exposing the Business. Ron Head's like, oh, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm the referee. Don't worry. And I'm just like, oh, wait, weren't you out here? Like, yeah, I'm the master referee. Don't worry. I'm going to be wrestling later. I'm sweeping the ring up. And literally, we went out there, did a couple spots. And and ABC mentioned they got like a, a, a thumbtack in his ass. He's like, oh, forget this. I'm out of here. And we all literally just like boycotted the show because we were so upset. <laughs> <laughs> and we all these stupid games. I think one of us is going to be OG the Butcher. You know, to have Abdul the Butcher, we had an OJ mask, it'd be OJ the Butcher because it was extremely strange wrestling. Just, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we went all the way to San Francisco to wrestle a match. We didn't even get to wrestle. Yeah. <laughs> and we literally had one of the wrestlers' family come and leave about, and he didn't wrestle. Yeah, for anyone, 
anyone listening not 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 super familiar uh they had a, i believe there was an aids needles match uh yeah. that oh, yeah, the bed of hypodermic needles that's yeah what that's what it was yeah there's a lot of stuff they had there it's it this... some weird weird stuff and you know they like this because you know they're just looking for dudes to work and we were just like uh-uh, we're not doing this stuff and they were like no nope. okay yeah sorry we get it they should have had us going first and then do their hardcore stuff later but yeah. Oh well, nothing like all of us driving to San Francisco eight hours each way to not even like wrestle, but still get something. I guess I think we all got paid a little something. What's your favorite move or hold you never used? I, I the joke was I had three holds only. That was usually the running joke amongst me is that I would just do Rana's, DDTs, and neckbreakers, and then I realized later I'm like, shoot, I should have just done like submissions. You know, I at least did some submissions because. Something I didn't really think about when I was wrestling, but in my later days, I would watch Rey Mysterio. You got to think of doing the move that you could do to any person. That's why the 619 works. You can do that to anybody. Yeah. You know, I can't give anybody a Rana or, you know, because some people just don't know how to take Ranas. Believe me, I've been dropping my head a couple times of Ranas. Or, you know, Neckbreaker maybe, DT maybe, but it's just a matter of how you do it, how you place it. And I realized, like, shoot, if I could have just had a good, like, submission hold or like a good roll up or something that I could just do on anybody as long as it gives it credibility to where you make it work in a match then it then it you know that'll work for you like I love the um it's called the fuller leg lock it's like a variation of the Indian death hold like the only guy I think uses it now is names Robbie Eagles and uh he wrestled in New Japan and I watched yeah. oh my god you're doing He's the fuller leg right? lock even though it's a different name over there he, yeah. he has a different name for it he's Australian right Yes, he's Australian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite guys, and I'm like, oh, I hope he gets, hope he gets back to Japan soon because that was definitely a big fan of his. Yeah. Uh, so, what's the uh, injury roll call? Luckily for me, not too too bad. Believe it or not, you know, you would think, oh my god, this guy runs Super Dragon a bunch. Is he dead? I'm like, nope. I mean, let me think. I mean, I got knocked loopy a couple times against him because you know he does lay it in. Um, let me think. Almost one of the worst injuries was a match against Disco Machine of all people because I'm the the first thing we did in the matches. I'm waiting for him to come out. It's like a big grudge match. I'm waiting for him to come out like this, and he comes from the other entrance. I don't know he's coming, and he gives me a drop. He got the top rope, and the problem is I fell forward, and the way he landed, he literally landed on the back of my leg, and I almost dislocated my patella. Like my leg was bugging me for a while. I'm like, oh no, this is not good. And I went, and they were like. Oh yeah, you almost just gave your patella, blah blah. You, therapy, you might want to do some physical therapy, blah 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 blah. And I was like, nah, okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, and um, you know, my neck. You know, I try to stretch out my neck when I can. Like I'm literally like moving around here, crack here and there. But is there even that bothersome? I, I, the worst I can think of in the ring was I got knocked out pretty bad by Excalibur once, of all people. <laughs> it was. Uh, I think it was a benefit show for the Messiah when he got his thumb cut off for Epic Pro Wrestling. Um, I literally remember getting an elbow from Excalibur, which, you know, picture his arms. You know, they're almost like pipe arms. Yeah. I gave him one elbow, and I'm turning around going, oh, my gosh, he hit me really hard. And next thing I know, I'm just, like, laying there, ropes, like, a couple of days later, I'm like, what's happening? You know? <laughs> and literally, they're picking me up, and I'm giving a cycle driver off the top rope while I'm like coming back from being like knocked out, <laughs> you know, which I'm like, that's really not safe in retrospect, you know? Yeah. Oh, and I'm wow. like, Oh God, I got to get home. And, and literally the next morning I was going on a road trip with my parents to Colorado to visit family. We're going to drive from LA all the way to Colorado. And I know I'm like, I'm concussed. I can't sleep. 
So I'm like, oh God, I'm not going to do this. You know, and, and I felt okay. Like I felt decent the next day. I went back, got checked later. I was like, yeah, you got a mild concussion. I'm like, okay, good. Only mild. I'll take that. You know? Yeah. Because kind of the abuse I've taken, I'm okay. I would go to work yeah. and you would see like ASIC footprints on my back for a day or two after a master dragon, but I'm okay for the most part, I think. Hopefully, uh-huh. knock on wood. My memory works. I'm talking to you a lot. You know? There you go. And uh, who's got the hardest chops in the business that you've taken? Well, I mean, I mean Dragon's definitely an easy one to, to do, you know. I know the time I wrestled Evo, he was pretty stiff on stuff. But, you know, the one thing you got, you know, one thing I, I learned early on is that if you watch, you know, some people, sometimes you do like the Ric Flair style chop like this, and it doesn't always work. If you always want a chop to work, if you watch Lucha, you see they, they you see yeah. overhead like that. That's was always gonna sting. If you want to get somebody, I'm like, oh, I learned, learned, I'm like, I'm doing over the top. I know those those are like can't miss. It's gonna suck for the other person because believe me, I know it sucked for me. But you know, you learn do it that way if you want to get a guaranteed thing. Yeah. But yeah I mean, if you guys get anything stiff, of course you be dragon. <laughs> speaking of speaking of working stiff in the ring, uh, was there any times when uh, somebody was working too stiff with you that? This was not an agreed upon thing. This was not like you and Dragon knowing you guys are going to lay it into each other. There's a time when you're like, hey, what, what the fuck's going on right now? Or Luckily, not. That time I, that you- luckily not. I, I, right. I don't really think of any particular time. Usually it would be like I'm wrestling Dragon somewhere in an unfamiliar area. Like I give an example. I wrestled Dragon in New York for a group called Lucha Extreme Wrestling. It was run by guys who I guess knew Rob Black. And they were trying to start like a Lucha Extreme Wrestling. And we're doing our stuff. And Backstage, meanwhile, like, La, LA, well, the original La Parca, Shocker, and these guys are, like, watching this going, dude, he's taking it, like, they're thinking, like, Dragon's taking advantage of me. And, and Dragon and I are just doing a regular match. I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I know it's going to be stiff, but it's, like, come to the ter- it's going to come with the territory. I'm like, ah, it's fine, whatever. You know? And believe me, there's people who were, like, hoping I would, like, just stiff the hell out of them back. And I did a little bit, like, in our mass match, which made it work, but that particular night was fine because, um, I think it was Zogre, if you know Zogre has the most luchas, mm-hmm. he literally was like, he's, he was trying to calm down La Parca in particular. I think it was La Parca in particular. He was trying to calm him down. Like, dude, why is this guy beating him up? Like, I think La Parca's getting kind of pissed. And he looks at him and he says, oh, don't worry, man. That's his cousin. It's okay. And he didn't know that we actually were really cousins. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, you actually really said something that's actually he's like, what? You guys really are? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's why it's fine. Whatever. You know? You can trust family members. Just a family squabble. You're going to be up your brother. Uh, you know, born, you're going to be at the average Joe, I suppose. <laughs> and that's, a, that's not a bad accomplishment for you and Super D there. You guys worked Laparka into a shoot. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I, know. I was like, whoa. Like, 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 I was like, oh, yeah, because I came back and they were telling me, I'm like, God, really, this is still happening? You know, it's because people haven't seen us and what we're doing, you know, we're laying it in, you know, yeah. supposed to be a work brother. <laughs> Which, believe me, that's gotten us in trouble. Yeah, we have to see, you know, work a little snug. Uh, any any particular, like, stories involving that? Like, you know, guys getting pissed that you guys were working snug with them at all? Not usually with them, because we usually were just, we usually just be careful. We, we're we're going to be snug with each other, but I was never, you know, I wasn't really the much strikes person. I was more or less, especially my peak, I'd be like, I knew, like, my role was, like, a dragon or whoever. I'm like, I'm the sympathetic baby face. I'm going to take a beating. I'm going to like sell it. Cause that's the one thing that makes me a little sad about wrestling now is I don't see enough selling. Mm. Cause that's when you're going to get sympathy. 
you know, if you're selling right, you do it right, you make people care, they want you to come back. That's what's gonna that's why selling is such a cruel so far wrestling. And I don't see as much as I would like. It like I'll see like people pop up and things like, oh gosh, come on, you don't know well, the art of it. There's such an art to selling where you can just make it look so much better than what it could be. And um Yeah, and I, I think I, especially I, now in the last few months it's gotten worse because yeah. without crowds, yeah, I think it yeah. really messes with their mind as far as yeah. like you know, they know there's a camera, but it's different when you like can look over and kind of see people like concerned or like, you know. And I, and I at least was, I, I mean, at least every time we're working for 15, 20 people on them, it's like, I'm still going to sell. Part, maybe part of my thing is I'm like, oh my gosh, Dragon, dragon lay off a little bit. You know, <laughs> probably that, you know, but or whoever I'm working with, because I'm like, oh, I lay off a little bit. Like, let me sell this. Let me sell this. Let me make this work, you know. And part of it might have been, I was like, oh, God, you hit me hard. Give me a second. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't like we were hurting each other. You you can hit each other hard, but in the right places. Mm-hmm. You know, like, if you ever watch one of those strike exchanges, like New Japan or whatever, they're laying it in, but they're not – Usually, it's rare when they actually hurt each other, you know. <laughs> it's more the head drops which you got to worry about, you know. Yeah. There's like that, you know, that, that very special crook of the neck area where you can yeah, just yeah. literally forearm the shit out of someone yeah. – and they're just doing, you see, you know, there's always, there's always videos like on Twitter, like of people showing like old school J- New Japan matches where they're just doing it back and forth, back and forth. And yep. you're like, good God, like they're yeah. really. It's snug, but it's not really hurting the guys for the most part. And the, the worry you gotta be careful is slaps, you know, cause I know there's a couple times I slap Dragon and he, and he was just like, I could see him and he's like, oh, you like yelling, like mad at me backstage after I'm like, really you're gonna be mad at me for sipping you? Get out of here. <laughs> That is yeah. funny. That's a, that's a nice turnaround. Yeah. <laughs> My God, I got laid in somewhere, brother. <laughs> uh, what's the craziest fan interaction you've had? Especially like I'm a, you know, Lucha shows, especially from what a lot of the Luchadors I've talked to tend to be a little bit more crazy than American fans. I didn't work that many straight Lucha shows. So uh, I didn't have that as much. The weird one for me would have been after my wrestling days. Cause I finished wrestling. I, lost my math match in no three and literally i'm in i'm at my college about four or five years later and a guy just comes up to me he's like kevin lyon i'm like um yeah like, and i have no idea i know this guy and then you know and then just like oh taro and i'm like what because <laughs> mind you i lost my mask in november of 2003 yeah I a couple more times it's like how would you know me by face? You know what I mean? That's why I was yeah. just like, it happened to me once too. When I, uh, another time I'm called about a year or two later, I'm like, this is so weird. So weird. <laughs> Especially because I knew I was going to lose my mask. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a secret if you knew what was going on. And I made sure like the last year or so, any show I went to, my mask is on as I pull in, go on the show. My mask does not come off till I was driving away and a couple blocks away, and the mask comes off. I because I was like, you know what, I gotta make this mean something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm gonna lose the mask, make it worth something. I don't know if it's how much it was worth, but you know. Hey, no, we got you know on the lucha editions of the show, there are dudes who you know, you know later on in their in their careers and they're still holding on. They they do the interview in the mask and they're like, this is. Yeah. You know, this is what it is. So yeah. it's 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 a serious thing they take. You know. Oh no, absolutely. And and I realize like I better take it serious because, you know, um, more or less, I decided in 2003 I was a little burned down. Things I said, 
I, I told Dragon, like, you know what? I think it's going to be my last year. And, and we're talking, he's like, okay, well, I want your mask then. I'm like, okay, fair enough. You know, we decided that already. And, and this is like in the beginning of the year. So I realized, I'm like, well, you know what? I got to make this mean something, you know? And so, yeah, and literally, like, we had one of the hardcore fans who came up to me and said to me, like, you're the only guy I don't know who you are. And I'm like, and you know how many mask guys were rep pro, and I'm the only one I didn't know that I knew I was doing something right. Yeah. Because you know? people, people want, people don't want to know everything, you know? You will yeah. go to the shows, you'll see, like, like, I've never gone to Lucha shows back when I first started, like, guys would show up and you would never see about their masks. Like, Neil Mastris, my God, that's what you do wear in the shower, you know? <laughs> or, or switch out, you know, somewhere in there. Yeah. Well, I love that. Uh, I forgot. One of the other guys that got interviewed on the show, one of the luchadors, I forgot who it is, and, and I'm annoyed at myself that I don't remember, but he told a story of a fan basically like wanting to fight him and like all this stuff. And then after the match, he walked right by the guy because he didn't have a mask on. Yep. And the guy was just standing there kind of looking. <laughs> and he was like, and he just walked right past him. <laughs> I can tell you one of those from being in person. Uh, I went to a lucha show where Cicosis, the WCW Cicosis, literally went upstairs. Fan was like, threw something at him. He went up and punched the fan in the face. This is before he's in WCW. This is like right, like about a year, maybe six months before. And the guy, someone called the cops. And and I'm just hanging out backstage. And I, I, I can't say hang out backstage, but I'm, I was filming or hanging out, whatever. I'm by the curtain. And the cops are, in, are looking for Sigosi. He's staying right there with his mask off. But everyone's like, oh, he left already. And <laughs> I was like, okay, well. Whoever this guy is, he has to eat. I think he has worn out for his arrest or whatever. And I'm like, that's is so funny and so lucha. You know what I mean? Like, don't worry, you're fine. There you <laughs> go. Your mask on, no one's gonna know who you are. It's true. You yeah, know? it's like, amazing. Oh my god. There's uh, a crazy fan story. See, for just me myself as a fan in the audience. Yeah. Uh, besides hurting you in a match, what's the worst thing someone could do when you're fight when you're in a match with them? Not hurting me. I'm like. And I, I feel like that's where it was where it mostly just got hurt because I'd like, you know, I, I have a couple guys who don't really know how to take moves like a Rana and I'd just be like, oh, shoot, I just got dropped in my head because you don't know how to take it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, you, you don't know. Sometimes you're not going to know how experienced someone is until you're until yeah. you're way too deep into a match, unfortunately. Yeah. Because you know, like I said, luckily, I never really got taken advantage of. And my been me just being very particular in that. I wasn't looking at this as a career. I mostly wanted to just stick to wrestling people I knew who I want to wrestle. And luckily I was mostly booked like that, which okay. definitely was my benefit because I was like, whatever, I don't want to wrestle so-and-so. I just want to just wrestle dragon and my friends and just have a good time. And anything comes out of it. Great. Because, yeah. You know, I wasn't looking to make money. <laughs> I yeah. made money outside of wrestling in wrestling wise, which, that's something I get to. So I, I, I got to figure out a good way to get into that story. I don't know if anybody really knows about that. Let's go into it. Let's, let's do it. Okay. So, and you can look stuff on, if, look, here's your research. You can look this up on YouTube. Um, through Conan, American Wildchild, Ron Rivera, got in touch with people. Do you know who Nikki Cox is at all? Nikki Cox, the yeah. actress? Yes, the actress, yes. Yeah, she's married to Jay Moore. Okay, yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go way back. She first got a break on Unhappily Ever After. Yeah. With the so, talking bunny or whatever the hell that yeah. thing was. Yeah. So, see, you're not, you, I can't believe you wouldn't know about the show. So, yeah. in around the, two, the year 2000, the WB, there was a TV show called Nikki, where the premise of the show is it's based in Las Vegas. She is a aspiring showgirl, and her husband on the show is an aspiring wrestler. 
You never heard of the show? No. The and now you're probably like, I was six. Oh, wait, how old are you? Because you're same as John, right? Uh, just a, I graduated in 2002. So from you've been school. Like, you've been about 16 or 17 when this show aired. Yeah. Huh. Would you love to see anything wrestling related on network TV? Yeah. Thousand. I'm just wondering how this like nine o'clock. Like, how do you not know about the show? Right? Yeah, this is like there must have just been a weird blind spot out of nowhere. Yeah. It's so weird. That wasn't like as a popular show because again, it's WB. But this is something that, like, I don't know how many wrestling fans even know about this. It's so weird. So AWC got the connection to this. And he supplied, through Conan, he supplied a ring. And he got the job as stunt coordinator. So this would have been, like I said, 2000 or so. And so it's like, oh, hey, so we need wrestlers for a scene. So he would bring in the Rap Pro guys. You know, you bring in Dragon and Excalibur and whoever. And... Like, okay, here's what we need. And literally, like, the first episode, the very first episode, it, it's funny because they felt they were like, we want this, like, this big move. So Dragon would do the Phoenix Flash. You know the Phoenix Flash, right? Where you're on yeah. the top of the and he's all, this you turn to the 450. They had him do it several times on camera, and they wanted to use the best take for a shot in the show. And that's where he actually messed up his knee for the first time back in this, and this would have been May or June 2000. And he had having to have, knee surgery like about a month or two after that and literally it ends up being on a monitor backstage as the actors are talking to each other in a scene and it's just like whoa but if you end up if i'll have to figure out where to tell you to look this up i know this is on youtube but if you watch that show you'll see like excalibur backstage myself rising sun but my break was we would have i'm obviously i'm the right perfect size referee and the first, the first celebrity we brought in was we brought in Kevin Nash. And this is like 2000. And it's like, Ron's like, Kevin, I want you to referee the scene. I'm like, all right. Oh, of course. I'm like, yeah, of course. You know? And so literally it's like, he's called the Big Easy. But his character is, you know, the Big Easy Kevin Nash. You know, you can't call him Big Sexy or whatever. But literally the premise of the show was he was homosexual. But, but you know, he tried to t- – because – the premise is, is her, Nikki's husband thought he was going for Nikki. And he's like, no, I'm gay. And mm. that's the whole episode. And I refereed the wrestling scene on that episode. And the end, the big thing was to prove he wasn't gay, he actually kissed the wrestler actor on the lips for like the, at the big climax of the wrestling episode. This sounds familiar now for some okay. reason to me. All right. Now that, that visual in my head is if like, you're watching like Kevin Nash, Dickie Cox, you'll probably see this. You'll probably find the wrestling scenes. And yeah. if you if you just do a dive into that show, a lot of I believe a lot of on YouTube, you'll see. Like I said, you'll see me, me masked as Ultra Child Junior. You'll see Super Dragon. You'll see me unmasked. I refereed like to the point where I was told I can't be on the show anymore. I was that much of an extra on the show. But we actually had some celebrity extras. Like um, the big one for me was we were gonna have Terry Funk on the show. And I'm just like, Terry Funk, my favorite wrestler of all time. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And the role is supposed to be a broken down wrestler. And Terry, the, the, literally, apparently the day before said, oh, I ain't going to do this and canceled on them. So it's like, what do we do? Where are we going to find a wrestler last minute? So believe it or not, Randy Savage was in town filming Spider-Man at the exact same time. And they brought Macho Man Randy Savage over to be on the Nikki episode 
to be this old broken down wrestler. And mind you, this is 2000 Macho Man. He's where ripped. He's like, like, jacked to the gills. Like, he's a monster. He's a <laughs> I'm just like, what? And it was absurd, but I'm just like, I'm in the ring of the Macho Man on television. And I'm just like, wow, deep breath, deep breath, deep breath, deep breath. You know, and I, I'm like, oh my God. And that's what I tell people, like, look, that's the one I'll, that's almost more I tell people, like, you want to see me in the ring? And that's what I'll bring up. Like, look up, like, I'll show me up with the Macho Man TV. They're like, oh. And that was a great pay debut because um, I actually joined the Screen Actors Guild through that. And so did Ron. Um, they're doing, we were featured extras and like, shoot, why not become a Screen Actors Guild member? Who knows where we can get with this? Yeah. You know, and um, we actually have Fabulous Moolah on an episode and um, Mae Young was just there hanging out, you know, and uh, the second season actually did a episode, there was an episode where I actually wrestled Kevin Nash in a match where I did the stunt work filling in for the actor and I wore a mask and we did like, it was the, I got paid like, stunt rate for SAG, which back in 2001 was like $600 a day minimum. And that's the minimum. Like, have I ever made $600? Have I made $600 a day in wrestling? Never. No. Yeah. It was like three days. It was like the easiest match I ever had in my life. I'm like, oh, this is the life right here. <laughs> you know? And um, we parlayed that also into uh, those episodes of Angel um, – where Ron coordinated uh, scenes. There's a Lucha Libre tie into an episode of Angel. I remember that. So, so there you go. So if you, ever, if you remember the episode, it was actually, there's excitement, Super Dragon, and I- I, I had, had no idea it was them in that show. Yeah. That's so funny. So the, the good guys in the match were like after stuntmen, and then the three opponents was Dragon Excitement. I'm really sorry. I'm facing who the third person was is right now. Shoot, I'm really mad. I can't remember who it is. But yeah, if you if you're an Angel fan, you look that up. You can find that, and you're like, what? And I refereed that scene. And the ironic okay. part of it was, I got like the day before. I literally was doing every single spot, showing the actors how to do it, and they could not handle what we were doing. They they were just like, what do you mean you're taking these falls and these falls and these falls? Because they're used to everything being like, okay, there's a mat here, there's a mat there. Like we're taking bumps to the floor and they're just looking at us like, you guys nuts? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> they're taking a fall to the floor because they're professional stuntmen. There's a mat everywhere they're landing. Yeah. yeah I was thinking that of- Sinister was on the episode later in a, because that's the scene of the older, with, with us in the 50s as a modern match where it was like Matt Sinister in Rep Pro wrestling like three minis going full circle back to the mini aspect in a scene. It was a weird episode, but yeah, that was a good exposure and good money made for some of us. <laughs> yeah. I gotta go back and look at that. Cause I've seen, I figured, I, I'm glad to just get that out there. Cause I'm like, who the hell knows about that? Yeah. American watch. I made his most money in wrestling is where I made my most money in wrestling. Arguably, you know, oh, for sure for me. Yeah. So, wow. Too. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that sag money was good money. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh was there ever a time you were legitimately surprised by another worker in the ring i mean i have to go back to that first natural so i can see though because literally he made me look like i was a wrestler like i was like i have no business being here and we're doing like lucha spots we're doing a couple ranas i did a dive he did he did a tope con helo between the ropes on me and i'm like you're trusting me on this and i'm just like wow you're making me look good and i'm like I have no business being here. I mean, that's the most obvious example. And that's just a guy who obviously a constant professional because he could have just 
kicked my ass all over the place if he wanted to. But yeah. he probably, maybe no one's smart enough for the fact that this is my first match. That might be true as well. It's more or less the ref and Ron and I, we just put together the most basic match possible and just do our stuff. And like, okay, there it is. That's the most obvious example I can think of for sure. Because yeah. if you carry someone like to their first match and make it look passable, that's a hell of a professional right there. Uh, are you, you kind of already alluded to uh, one time this happened, but uh, you know, Booker's stiffing you on pay. Oh. Uh, what are some, you know, times it's happened? You already mentioned one. Uh, maybe some funny excuses they try to come up with as to why they can't pay. There's a, nowadays, it wouldn't have been back then at the time because, you know, you didn't really have it at the time. But nowadays, a lot of people have told me on this podcast, oh, I'll PayPal you later, which is... Oh, gosh. Look, I never had anything like that. And I just laugh because... You know, I see people, you know, I see people like, oh, well, I'm not getting paid. But, you know, you mentioned stand-up comedy. If you're for breaking into stand-up comedy, it's what? Pay to play, right? You have to buy a certain amount yeah. of tickets and sell tickets. Like, I never knew that was a thing. Apparently, there was like, there was a famous fit out in the East Coast called USA Pro. I would hear like, to get on the show, if you sold like 25 tickets or so, you would get on the show, regardless of where you were on there. Because first I got flown out to New York to wrestle for LXW, that group I mentioned earlier. The night before, there was a show up the street. Oh, the old Elks Lodge where like ECW's around Queens. Yeah. Like we were staying at the same hotel of all these dudes. And there was like, apparently it was like 16 matches, a five and a half hour show because, oh, if you sell 40 tickets or whatever, you're going to get on the show. I was like, oh my God, this, ugh. But that's like pay to play. Got yeah. to give it like that. And it's same for like bands breaking. Sometimes you're going to have to pay to play. And I was like, Oh God, it's terrible that we have to go through that. But I had to watch the Disco Machine episode to make sure this, this the fun one for us in particular didn't get mentioned. So in July of 1999, there was a lucha group that used us, and back then, Spirit Pro was like, "Oh, great, we're getting a booking." And it was Dragon against American Wildchild, and they did their match, and they got stiffed. And the promoter, um, he was a wrestler named The Kiss. And like, I think at this point, he's called The Punisher. He was one of those guys who's just running a weekly Lucha Libre show in L.A. There was two or three of them at certain points running every weekend for like a year, years in L.A. And this guy was like, uh, you know, I, I, I'll get you next time. And so the date they're going to use, American Wildchild and Dragon were wrestling in Hawaii. Like, oh, gosh, excuse me, the wrestling Hawaii, good for them. So he set it up to where I was going to be myself, um, Yakuza, Mr. Excitement, Disco Machine, where I go there. And he said, okay, don't worry, I'll make it up to you, I'll make it to you guys. I'll make it up to them for you guys, not getting paid. He's like, okay, cool. So we go up there, and it's Disco Machine against Excitement and me versus Yakuza. And, of course, it's a Lucha Flyer, so they got all of our names. They got, the only name they got right was Mr. Excitement. Instead of Yakuza, it was Yazuza, Y-A-Z-U-Z-A. I was Ultra Row Jr. And Mr. Excitement, they got right. And Disco Machine was Dico Machine, D-I-C-O Machine. So we go out there, we, we do our stuff, and they're like, okay, that was a good night. Cool, whatever. And we're waiting to get paid, waiting to get paid. And I don't know which of us went in there to get it. Comes out, and our pay was $5. You want me to finish the story? Total. Not $5 for each of us. Oh, my God. $5 total for all four of us. Crumble that shit, throw right in his face. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> and that's 
making up for for American Wildtown Dragon getting stiff, get, not getting anything like two weeks before that. And oh. like, Are you freaking kidding me? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I, I mean, like I told you earlier, I wasn't looking for this for a living. I'm like, I'm not going to do this. Why? What? What? Why is it going to benefit me? I'm not going to do this ever again. And I remember it was just like, oh, a couple of the, oh man, there's there was some steaming that night. Let me tell you. But that's my favorite example. I'm like, yeah, I got paid a dollar twenty-five. Yeah. <laughs> you know, see, we got five dollars. I was supposed to split that amongst four of us. <laughs> yeah, that's. I, you know, I've never. You know. I'm not, I'm not too crazy about like, I don't freak out over monetary things, but like, it's, it's the principle of that. Yeah. It's just like, I'd rather you just didn't fucking pay me then. Like, what, what is this? Like, (laughs) yeah, you know, that's, that's the way I look at it. It's like, you know, going to a restaurant, tipping someone 75 cents. It'd just be like, Hey Dick, you know, what are you doing? You know, it's just, it's, I don't know that. What? Come on. Jared Myers will just not tip instead of just offending the guy. Ugh. What's the, like, good. I'm glad I just couldn't tell that one because that's my favorite one. Yeah. Well, those times the ref I didn't get paid, but like I told you earlier, I, I helped like sell the videotapes on eBay or whatever. So I was getting some money for that and helping out around the office. Yeah. Uh, what's the best mistake you made in pro wrestling? I guess saying yes to that first match. <laughs> I mean, honestly, because it took, like I said, it, it took a long time for me to say, okay, fine. I'm like, I don't want to do this. It like literally it was like nine months later was when I had my second match. And it was only because I was going for Blitzkrieg. We did a Lucha show in Fresno. Blitzkrieg got a little messed up. And I remember the match the next day. I was like, all right, you have your gear. I am like, yeah. I'm like, oh, God. I'm like, I don't, don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I don't really want to do this, do I? And it was fun as long as I didn't get hurt. And I remember that night I got, I forgot about this injury. First time I got my, I got you know, concussed. The end of this match, um, I'm down. It's literally gonna be the finish. The guy, my friend, friend, what a friend right now, but is a friend really. He pulls me up and picked me up off the mat, and I had like a mask like this. I don't know if you can see it. Total slip on, mm-hmm. right off. And Lucha, that's on that DQ. Yeah. So I'm like, oh no. And literally, I'm like, that's not so bad. I'm trying to fix the mask, and the finish was he's gonna give me a Larry and give me a submission. I'm like, okay, cool, and. Literally, my mask is barely on. I'm adjusting my mask as he's throwing me in the ropes. And because I'm disoriented, he, he learns me. It's more or less, boom, here in the face. And I fall, and I'm just like, I'm just laying there like, you got to go to the finish. And then I remember, like, oh, yeah, this is the finish. And I'm just laying there. I'm like, God. And everyone's out eating afterwards. And I'm like, I hop, I look, I'm eating French fries. Like, I don't want to eat right now. <laughs> I'm like, oh gosh. Good uh, time, let me tell you. Uh, speaking of which, yeah, I just uh, somebody posted on Twitter. It was to it was today. They said uh, they showed that clip of Blitzkrieg in uh, WCW. Which um, which well, I saw the photo going around that on that. So I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the first time I saw anybody post. It, it was him doing the Phoenix Splash. It was him doing the Phoenix Splash. Oh and yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Oh and yeah, yeah. Said, yeah. It's the first time it was on American television. The Phoenix Splash. Yeah. So to go way, 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 way back, um, we used to actually buy the Japanese magazines at the Japanese bookstores in L.A. And in 1995, we saw, like, apparently Blitzkrieg had the idea for the Phoenix Splash, believe it or not. He had an idea in his head, but we we were wrestling anywhere. We couldn't do it. And um, there was Hayabusa doing the move. 
And it's really one of those things where it's like seven or eight photos in a row, and each was like an arrow showing the progression of the move. And it's just like, oh no, Hayabusa did it. And I'm like, oh man, you know, and it's just like, well, we're, we're resting at that point. It's like, we were looking to get a mat, we, not me, but you know, most of those guys were looking to get a match or two a year, honestly. Yeah. You know, because again, like I said, we were the out, we were the definitely the outlaws back in that period. Yeah, wow. But it's funny because he had that vision in his mind of the move, and it's like then he finally then he got to do it a few years later, and yeah, I saw the one because on Callow, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, him getting the WCW took like about six months or so. Because do you know if the uh, the Thunder Trial matches on YouTube anywhere or on Daily Boat anywhere? Oh, it, it probably is. Yeah, because um, it was uh, August of 98. It was Super Dragon and Blitzkrieg against Mega Molotov and Hellblazer. And they did like a four-minute match, did everything they could under the sun. And literally, I, I wasn't there. It was at Oakland Coliseum, and people were like losing their minds. It was like a Thunder taping. Apparently, they got really over. And God, Thunder at Oakland? I think I was at that show. Yes. Yeah, so if you were there early enough, you might have saw that match. I think I was at that show. There you go. That was the that was the dark match on that show, but Lily somehow on the sat it was on the satellite feed. That's the only way the video ever came out of this. And they did like a four minute match. And what I always heard was they go backstage and literally Goldberg's at the curtain and hugs Blitzkrieg. And they said Lily, you, like it's like Blitzkrieg disappeared. <laughs> and like no one knew who we were. We were like, yeah. you know. And after that day, they were saying like, oh yeah, blah blah blah. You guys are all getting signed or whatever. But literally, it was that was August. It was um, the first match of Blitzkrieg in WCW was January, I believe. It was like in Buffalo, mm. and he had a second tryout, I think, two weeks before that. And it was weird because it was like, it, you know, Superboy. Do you remember yeah. who Superboy is? Yeah, I don't remember the team, but it was like, the teams but it was Superboy, Blitzkrieg, Luchador uh, Maxwell, Moscow Dino Merced, and Felino, uh, Nick Rakosta's brother. That they were paired up somehow in a match in like Minneapolis. But like a dark match, like a tryout. And it was like a week or two later is when Blitzkrieg made his debut. Wearing still that horrible gear that we got that he got made in like nineteen ninety-six before he went to Japan. It's just like, oh God, this this gear. Oh my god, this gear. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Oh, luckily luckily they had better gear made later. Yeah. Well, there was a long time when uh you could tell, especially in the late nineties, early two thousands, there was like a few gear makers total. Because yeah. Oh, yeah. it was a point when, like, everyone had, like, like Michael Modest and Donovan Morgan, they both had, like, the Dean Malenko Iceman shorts at one point. Yeah. Like, there was, like, a template of designs that they just kept selling to everyone. And yeah. it was very, and, like... Yeah, and, and remember, think of this. We have Luchador. We need Lucha costumes, you Yeah. Know? Like, I think, like, Wild Child and Blitzkrieg and all these guys, um, Blitzkrieg's gonna do a tour of Japan for the summer of 96, and him and, like... Hellblazer and uh, Blitzkrieg's brother, Suicide Kid, uh, they all were going to get gear made by this guy, and it came back, and it was just atrocious. Like, it wasn't even, like, it was barely wearable. You know, I was like, yeah. now what are we going to do? And it's like, like, let's get a mask, you know, a different mask, and we just put it on him, and he just wore it for two months in Japan, and, and okay, well, we'll just get gear made later, <laughs> you know? And, you know, we would always joke, like, um, uh, the famous lucha maker, his name was Busio in Mexico City, and and we would order stuff through whoever, and like, oh yeah, it's gonna come from Busio. Like, yeah, really, it's gonna be Busio. It looks like it's made by Busio Tres. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, it's just like, like you never know what you're gonna get. Like, luckily my gear, 
we ordered it through a Martina WW and it came back. Okay. Like just because she naturally drew the outlet, the outline for my Taro outfit. Cause like I said, the, the ultra junior was hand me down from, you know, the previous. Ultra yeah. Taro. And then it just ended up being an accidental coincidence for me that the button ended up being puffy. Cause that'd be my entire gimmick in the end. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, at least you guys did that because, you know, I'm sure you've seen this at multiple Lucha promotions or or just regular indie promotions actually more more regular promotions not lucha promotions I'm, I'm wrong on that point um half the time it's like we have a young wrestler what do we do with him throw a mask on him and he'll be you know el superhero and you're like dude that's an el, that's an el hijo del santo mask like yeah, yeah. come on man like like he comes out with a blue demon mask and you're like dude yeah. oh yeah dude don't do that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but, you know, it's like, oh, we just need a body. It's like, I right, get him out there. And it's yeah. just nobody knows, you know what I mean? You yeah. get away with that in the 90s more than nowadays. Uh, uh, it might be the Kikataro thing, but what's the hardest you've laughed at an indie show? That one is probably number one in being in a match. Something I really need to rewatch is, as a fan, I remember the match I laughed at the hardest was um, Top Gun Tower against El Generico uh, from, I think it was, for us, I think it was War is the name of the group. And I saw John retweet that recently. Like, oh my gosh, I remember I got really sad. Watch that mask. I remember just like cracking up hysterically at that match. Early on, the very first show I did, it was um, this guy named the role model against the Gemini kid who later was in Rev Pro as Ebony Blade Esquire. He was a guy who came up from Boston. His name's Eric Anderson. Uh, he's been around for a long time. Def- definitely guy I've known for my gosh, 25 plus years now. But they did it at the beginning of the match. Eric Anson's going on and on. He throws a chair in the ring. Gemini Kid sits down in the chair. And literally the second he sits, it's one of those plastic chairs, just breaks under him. And we all, and I'm looking at, and this is literally the second match I ever saw in my entire life. And he's just looking at me like, oh, shit. And I'm just like, how do I hide my face? Hide my face, hide my face. And it's like, he, because the heel is the one on the floor. And he's like, ha, 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 look at you. And I'm like, let's see the heel. Don't make fun of the baby face. Oh, my God, come on. Uh, but that's even happen with fans, unfortunately, where they'll sit in the plastic chair and the chairs just break and it's just like, ah, I'm like, oh, that's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 um, it's hard not to laugh at. Yeah. It's I'm because like, it's just, sorry, it's so I'm sudden. Laughing. It's just sorry, so I'm sudden. Laughing, I'm laughing. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've seen a lot of them. What's the worst gimmick you've seen? Oh my God. I got to think about this because I've been to so many Lucha shows over the years. Like one of the most ridiculous ones, there was a lucha gimmick called Mechanico. And literally, he was, a, he was dressed like a mechanic with a lucha mask. It's like, you would have like gimmicks like that. Like, what? <laughs> You're a mechanic. Mechanico. It's like, what did he have? Like the wrenches over the eyes? Like, <laughs> I don't remember that, but he would have like kind of like the work shirt, you know what I mean? And like the, like the dicky pants. And it just, it, it would work. And it, it'd be a little bit more friendly for wrestling, but still, it's just like, this is your gear, Mechanico. I wish I could remember what his mask was like, because that's mm-hmm. the point. He might have had that on there. I'm like, that is gold. That is just, I'm like, I, like I, I appreciate that way more now than I did back in 1990. I'm like, oh my God, this guy sucks. Why is he on these shows? I don't want to see this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then like, some of the fun exoticos, like one locally, Lucha-wise, was like, Rosa Zavaje, you know what I mean? Just those exotic gimmicks. It's like, oh, these are so much, it's stupid, but it's fun. You know, you yeah. can, you can make it, you got to make it work for you. You know what I mean? Uh, Lucha, there's some really bad Lucha gimmicks over the years. <laughs> yeah. Really, really bad. Uh, any, you know, 
quote unquote big name guys. You know, you always see them. They're working indie shows, especially WCW, WWE, WWF. You know, any of the, any of that stuff where you know they act. They know they're bigger than the show. They act like they're bigger than the show. Just give off a bad vibe. Oh no! Uh, the only one I can think of is involves me directly. Is um, you know MLW, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. So the very first MLW show was in 2001, I want to say, at the ECW Arena. Me and Rising Sun got flown out specifically to do a Lucha Libre-style match. But we're the only guys who knew Lucha. It was, see, I can remember the match here. It was me, uh, shoot, Super Hentai, and Prince Nana, who later was like a manager in like ROH. Yeah, I remember Prince Versus Nana. Rising Sun, Abunai, and Devin Storm. Like one, I was like, wait, what? So the idea of this match is it's Lucha Libre rules, two out of three falls. Like, do you know enough about Lucha where you know the captain's rules applies to Lucha? I don't know about the captain's rules. No. Okay. So in a basic Lucha Libre match, there's in a trios match, there's a captain of each team. And to win a fall, you have to beat the two guys or beat the captain. So the idea was we want to introduce Lucha, and, but we want to do two heavy falls with the captains. And I'm like, this doesn't sound like the best idea. And then on top of that, um, the Tombstone Powder I called El Martinete, it's like the move of death in Lucha Libre. It's like if you do – Powder's are illegal in Mexico. If you do the Martinete, it's like you're done for. So to get that idea of the Martinete over, Abana was going to get Tombstone – by one of the rules, the second ball needs to be carted out. So now picture this on a 2002 indie show in Philadelphia with like Bam and Eagle on the show, Jerry Lynn, Shane Douglas, guys like that. Now picture this match mixing with all that. It, on paper, it just sounds like a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, you're introducing and, new rules. You're doing, there's a whole exactly. lot that people have to grasp. Yes. And, and, so what happened was I, I knew the basic foundation and I'm like, okay, I've, I've been watching Lucha for a really long time. I can help figure this all out, put this all together. And everyone's there except for Devin Storm. I had the basic idea for the match and figuring it all out because it's not an easy match to structure for an American audience. And he shows up last after everyone gets there. And he more or less came up to me saying, you know, I should kick your ass. You know, I should kick your ass out there tonight. And I'm like, what? And all the other guys look at me like, what? And it's because I was disrespecting the veteran by putting the match together. And I tried to explain to him and I'm like, I'm sorry. It's just, it's a Lucha Libre rules. I know, I know the rules of Lucha Libre. And so does Rising Sun. I don't even know how much Rising Sun knew it, but I knew I knew it. So I was like, I tried to put together this match. He's like, okay, well, we're going to be changing some things a bit, blah, 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 blah. And so I mentioned the Lucha rules. So let me tell you something. I was not the captain, but I literally got pinned in all three balls of the match. And my team won the match. Wait. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was telling you. You've been the captain or you've been the other two guys. Your team wins. Yeah. See? <sighs> like the very first fall, I got a – I you know Valentina is? She was in WSX yeah. and all that. She, it was like her first time ever in the business. And one of the spots was her giving me a swing DT off the, out of the corner in the match and then letting me get pinned by somebody else. I'm like, 
wow, this would be like the best match I ever had. I guess I wrestled the East of the Arena, but it was one of the weirdest, I can't, I dare say worst match. Because this is already a clusterfuck. Obviously, yeah. you me trying to tell the story. It's a giant clusterfuck. And Devin Storm was getting ready to kick my ass because I tried to like make sense out of all of it. Oh, man. And I remember at one point, I'd apologize to him because, and because he, he could have killed me on this. We did a spot where I was going to give him a run up the top rope and he uh, powerbombed me out the top. Of course, I get beat up because that was my gimmick. And when I was going to do the top, I like thrust my crotch at base and I'm, and all of a sudden I'm like, like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, oh, it's okay. And then he just dropped me and I'm like, you could have fucking killed me on that. <laughs> he didn't. You know, he's the best one out there. But the fact when he said that, just the look amongst all the other five of us were like, what the fuck are you talking about? Why? Why? He's trying yeah. to help us. You know, I mean, that's how the other dudes looked at because these other dudes are like, we don't know Lucha. I'm like, I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> That was one of the weirdest match. That's definitely probably the weirdest match I ever had. And MLW ended up doing pretty well there, obviously. Yeah, I didn't realize MLW went back that far. Their first show was like 2001. Yeah. Wow. They did. They did shows up till around 03, maybe 04ish, and then they stopped. And they came back in, I think, what 2016 or so, I believe. Okay, I thought that's okay. That yeah. makes more sense then. Okay, I, I thought yeah, the very first show they actually tried to recreate the Shane Douglas throwing the belt down angle, if I remember correctly. Oh really? Yeah, the ECW double cross. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I call this the uh, touchy feely question of the of the panel here. Uh, your pure joy in wrestling before the match, during the match, after the match. Something that when it happens, you get the chills. You're like, I fucking love this business. This is why I love this business. What it, would that be? I think. I mean, obviously, if you're backstage and your music hits and they pop, you're like, you're gonna get a natural rush from that, obviously. But you know, for me. Well, I was telling Ari about selling, you know, if I'm selling and the, you get the crowd, you get that crowd, you get them. Once you get there, like, fuck yeah, I got it. And it's like, if I get, you get the comeback and you do it right, you're like, this is going to be good. It's going to be worth everything that we're going through and all this. And just, you know, that that's a great joy. I'm like, okay, good. I had a good match, but it's a matter of having a great match and having the crowd completely engage with that, it makes the match so much better. You know, it's like, oh, great. I had a match where we did this, 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 and this, this, and this. Like, okay, cool. We hit all our stuff. But if it's crickets, it's like, yeah, what's that? But if you get the crowd completely engaged in it, it's like, okay, it's that much better. I know. Like, that Vinny- match is my best example of that, you know? Like Vinny Massaro, when I interviewed him on here, he was like, his favorite thing was when he would do a vertical suplex and then the crowd would pop. And he'd right. be like, Oh, it's gonna be an easy night tonight. <laughs> He's like, go. "Oh man, I don't, I don't have to do anything too crazy tonight. This is awesome." Oh, I mean, but that was the our mentality was, you know, for the most part, especially running Dragon, like players, like, all right, we got all this stuff we're gonna do. We're gonna do all our stuff because we want, we just want to just go out there and do our shit, you know? Yeah. And it's funny because then later, yeah, I mean, if if people watch me wrestle, I have one thing where I have the gimmick. We're like, oh, yeah, I'm the big man, the best chest in the West. But at the same time, I do one match where I'm wrestling disco, doing, like, more lighter hard stuff. But then the next match, I'm wrestling dragon, where it's like, oh, shoot, I can't do that goofy stuff because it's not going to play into it well, you know? I had, like, a weird thing because my gimmick was, oh, I'm the big man, you know? And it, but it doesn't work in that Super Dragon context. So I had to find the balance of it, you know? And uh, this is uh, a pretty specific to you questions i'm kind of just thinking of right now yeah you know what 
you were there for the the very beginning of PWG, and then you know you quit the business, brother. You were out of the business. But uh, curious, did you did you regret it, or was there a moment that you might have had a tinge of regret when PWG got as big as it did? Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Like, because like I told you, literally, like the beginning of 2003, I said, "I'm done. It's my last year," and I was like, "I'm going to stick to it." Because you know what? There's been times where I'm like, oh, I'm so done. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to feel like this again. And, and like, like, if I keep going and a year later, I'm like, oh, I don't want to feel like this. I just want to have an end date and just be done with it. And my end goal is the mass match. It'll be the end of everything with me and Dragon. We'll make it great. And, you know, maybe it, it might have been better a year or two later with PWG, but, you know, hindsight's 2020. But the only thing where I was like, oh, shoot. For whatever reason, early Gorilla, I was really over. And I'm like, oh, this looks like it'd be fun. Because it wasn't like I was going to be wrestling Dragon. I might have been having fun wrestling other people. And it's all going to be too serious. I'm like, oh, we can have some fun here. And then I saw, like, oh, they went to Europe. I would love to wrestle in Europe. Because I've never mm. been to Europe. That was, like, the big one for me. It's like, going to Europe with the BWG guys would have been amazing. And the only other thing, like, my regret was I would love to wrestle in the Japan. Because that is, I refereed once as is Tar, which is this bizarre in of itself. And I was like, okay, well, it's the easiest crowd and it's just fun. And there's like, you know, I'm like, gosh, look at this. There's hot chicks everywhere. I'm like, you know, like, wow, this looks like the most fun environment to go for wrestling. And it really is. Like, yeah. this day, it's like, I think like, you know, people like, I think it was talking to me like, Kevin, you're still such a wrestling guy. Like, yeah, but I'm gonna go to PWG and I'm gonna go to Boom. And you know, I'm like, I have a hookup. I know I, I know people, I can just get in and hang out. You know, I'll just hang out, have a beer. Sometimes I find a band that buy, buys me a beer. Oh yeah, I'll hang out and watch this stuff. It's fun. You know, it's yeah. all about having fun and just making the most of your wrestling experience. Absolutely. Well, sir, I appreciate you very much being on the podcast. I definitely would love to have you on again. I feel like there's probably more stories in there to crack into at some point. Uh, but please put yourself over, put over the uh, beer and baseball broadcast, please. Self over. Hang on. I put my mask on, put myself, I'm going to put myself over daddy. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Let me put myself over Jack. Let's do it. Put myself over. <laughs> God, this is so weird. Anyway, <laughs> well, follow what I'm getting into. Cause I think this is my photo still on my Instagram, and my Twitter. Cause I'm like, yeah, why not? And, I'm, and I think I saw my photo as Taro when we first signed on here. On uh, Twitter and Instagram, you can follow me at Luck and Lowell. That's L-O-K-N-L-O-L-L. Whenever I'm getting into music-wise, wrestling-wise, not much these days, beer-wise, because obviously the beer thing is going to tie in. And uh, nowadays, um, a passion project that grew out of uh, Disco Sheet, Michael Montag, is called Beer Baseball, beerbaseballblog.com. But if you look up uh, – gosh – Beer Baseball on Instagram, and I think it's Beer Baseball underscore on Twitter. We do a live uh, blogcast weekly at 6 p.m. on Tuesdays. It's Michael Montag is the host, myself, and Anzo Trinidad, who was a former announcer, ring announcer at PWG primarily. That's where people might have seen him. And we just talk about craft beer, and we talk about baseball, and just do every week, and it's a great time, and people seem to enjoy it. So you can look that up on, we're live on YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Twitch, you know. So just look at Beer Baseball. You'll, you'll probably find us, hopefully. And join us for a beer and baseball. 
Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate you being on. You have yourself a good one. Take care.